Okay, we're back. Oh, man. We had a hard time setting up for this interview, and it was kind of weird, like all the weird noises that we're getting in into the, the system. We were joking that um, there was like Israeli sp- <laughs> software <laughs> in the system. But it's bro- Mossad. Can you- Mossad listening in on us. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, but can you please, Brock, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, so my name is Barack. I'm an Egyptian American. Uh, my family is from Skunderia, Alexandria, on my mother's side and my father's side are uh, my father's from Portland. Um, and his parents are Jewish immigrants from Poland and Ukraine. And my mother's side is also Jewish, uh, Jewish Arab. And I live in Portland, Oregon. I was born and raised here. I guess I would call myself a mutual aid organizer. Um, I do have been doing mutual aid for many years, whether it's working with our unhoused neighbors or uh, today I'm the program director for the Peacekeeper Society, which is an indigenous led and run nonprofit based on the Yakima Reservation. Um, And we just essentially seek to give life changing opportunities to indigenous people. Uh, A lot of what I do is setting up uh, food and supply distributions because a lot of reservations, as you know, were hit super hard with COVID. Um, So we've just been trying to get food, supplies, PPE, things like that to communities that need it. Um, Last Wednesday, peacekeepers were out in Colville doing like a wildfire response and were able to uh, distribute about 50,000 pounds of food to the communities there and serve about 400 families who had been evacuated. so that's kind of what I do for work. And for fun, I talk shit about Israel. And, uh, <laughs> no, I do, uh, <laughs> I'm sort of involved in Palestinian activism and also kind of helping uh, rewrite that narrative of Jews versus Arabs, which is just based in lies. Yeah, that's what we're here to talk about is your first off your family history because, you know, uh, which is really unique. I've never heard about you know you know like people that migrated the way your family did, right? And then you know what the relationship is to the occupation of Palestine and you know the liberation of Palestine, you know, and everything that's going on right now. So you know you mentioned earlier that your family is from Egypt. Uh, and, you know, but, they're, you know, uh, Jewish people that lived in Egypt, you know, and people that don't know, they're, you know, for thousands of years, you know, Jewish people migrated all over, all over the place. Right. So it wasn't just Jewish people living in the Middle East. You know, some some um, migrated to Spain and other, and, you know, Iran, other places. Do you want to talk about your family's history? Yeah. So. I wouldn't exactly say we migrated. Um, I, I, there are Jewish people all over the world. You've got, so like my father's side is Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, and there, my grandparents, um, maternally on my father's side fled from Ukraine from the pogrom. So they were killing Jewish people and living in ghettos and they fled to the United States. Um, so they, I guess were a different kind of colonizer. But um, and then on the paternal side, they fled from Poland to the United States. And although they weren't exactly, you know, operating within the colonial framework, because when they got here, they were forced to live in ghettos. 
they still, um, you know, held privilege over indigenous populations. So um, that's sort of my father's side. And I didn't grow up with my father. I was raised by my mother. Like my father has passed away now, Ali Alhamu. Um, and I miss him a lot, but I didn't really grow up with him. So the culture I grew up with, I grew up with my mother and my bro, my brother. Um, and so I very much grew up in like an Arab home, an Egyptian home. And my mom was born in Mabarash Faram, which is a refugee transit camp in the Galil. And her parents fled Egypt where, so my family, like you were talking about migration, my family was in Egypt since forever pretty much since time immemorial. Um, they're Egyptian people. We were Galabias, we eat Malachia, um, and we're Jewish people, you know? So we had our own unique um, customs in Egypt. Like we would take our shoes off when we entered the synagogue. Uh, the word we use for God is Allah. Um, we didn't have pews in our synagogues. So like there were Jewish people living all over the world that I guess we called the diaspora but they were very much like unique to their lands. So like the Iranian Jews have their unique traditions and they're very much Iranian people and Persian people who the book they read is the Torah. There were Jews living in Palestine uh, forever, like before the first Zionist um, like colonial Aliyah. Um, I think it was about 8% of the population was Jewish, but they just called those people Palestinian. And I have friends, like I was just visiting my family in Palestine um, last month, and I was with a good friend from Nazareth who was talking about his father and the house he grew up in and how their next door neighbor in Nazareth was Jewish, and they would breastfeed each other's children. So he literally called this person brother. And in 48, when the first ethnic cleansing happened and the Jews left Nazareth, he felt like they had lost a piece of... Uh, their culture and a piece of themselves and that like Nazareth wasn't a complete place without the Jewish Arabs who were once their neighbors because we used to like we would cook for them on Eid and have food ready when they got back from the mosque they would cook for us on uh, Yom Kippur when we were fasting and have food ready for us when we got back from synagogue and although there were issues you know like th there were things that happened throughout the past few centuries but generally the Jewish populations living in the Arab world were living pretty good and integrated uh like they were they live the same lives as a muslim or a christian and um so yeah my family left egypt in 1953 and when abdul nasser came into power uh who was they is called like the father of pan-arabism and um when he came into power he exiled and ethnically cleansed the entire Jewish population from Egypt, which was about 80,000 people. And which I also attribute that to Zionism. Um, but my parents fled um, a place that they loved. Or, sorry, my grandparents fled a place that they loved, like Egypt in the 20s, 30s, 40s. They called it like the golden age of Egyptian cinema. It was like a super cracking place. Um, you know, people were in galabias. They were also wearing like swanky pinstripe suits and rocking tarbushes, um, smoking hashish, um, like a big international community. And when they left, they were essentially, you know, sprayed with DDT, put in a camp, um, and treated like dirty Arabs. Um, 
when they got to Palestine. Oh, yeah, I have a question. So, so yeah. they migrated yeah. from Egypt to to Palestine, like, you know, what's called Palestine now, but do they go under Israeli occupation or do they go into Palestine, Palestinian uh, territory? So my family, it was my grandfather, my grandmother. They had five children at the time because one had passed away and my mother and aunt had not been born yet. So he went with his 11 brothers and sisters and their families. My Safta, my grandma, with her 13 brothers and sisters and their families. And they all got in a boat with just what they had. Like uh, my grandma was wearing her gold bangle. That was the only thing she could bring. They brought some silverware, which my little, well, she's my great aunt, but she was a baby at the time, threw off the boat. So they just pretty much left with the clothes on their back. And they went to Marseille. And... Everyone stayed in Marseille, all 11 of my grandfather's siblings, all 13 of my grandmother's siblings, all of them stayed in Marseille, and my grandfather wanted to stay there too, but my Safta's parents had immigrated to Palestine in the 20s, and she wanted to be close to her family, wanted to be close to her mom, and so even though my grandfather, who I grew up, I only learned this very recently, I grew up thinking that he'd come to Palestine because he was a Zionist and wanted to help create the Israeli state and all these things. But really, he did it because his wife wanted to be closer to her parents, and he, he wanted to stay in Paris. He had no desire to go colonize a country. Yeah, so in your family, because um, I know you are very pro-Palestinian you know, liberation, and you know you speak about you know against Zionism, how is that? Because you know every family. I have family members that are like super Republican, you know, and they see me as like some crazy communist. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> how do you? How does your family, uh, like the dynamics of your family, like are some supportive of the Israeli Zionist government? You know, the settler colonization, or or are they against it? Oh, I would say like a majority of my family is very much Zionist, and um, I wouldn't say that they. You know, they would never say I support the occupation. They they are what people in Israel would call like centrist or leftist, but what we we would call here fascists. Um, but they, it's very much like Franz Fanon, black skin, white masks. So there were literally millions of Arab Jew, uh, Jewish Arab people who immigrated. Five hundred thousand from Morocco. Um, 80,000 from Egypt, you know, 40,000 from Lebanon, um, 100,000 from Iraq. Um, so these massive migrations uh, were coming, or they were all, you know, kicked out of their countries generally, which I'll get more into later about, like, why that actually happened and how Zionism led to the dispossession of all these uh, Jewish Arab people's homes. But they, um, like my family, for instance, they got off a boat in Haifa. They were sprayed with DDT. Um, like my uncle right now was just in a class action lawsuit with like hundreds of other people who came during that time and were also sprayed with DDT and got cancer. My uncle got stomach cancer. Can you, can you um, say what DDT is for people that don't know? It's like a pesticide that is now banned because it has been shown to be like extremely carcinogenic and cause cancer. And it wasn't something that was ever meant to be used on people. It was meant to be used on crops, I guess. But they just were like these, they just 
they considered them like savages. Um, if you look at like the early reports from Zionist organizations trying to go into North Africa in the 20s and 30s and sort of like separate and divide and conquer these populations and use the Jewish um, Arabs as kind of like an inside force for their colonialism and try and like separate them to use as a wing of their like an, what they would call like an indigenous arm of their colonization. Um, so sorry, I got a little lost there. Um, it's okay. So yeah, so let's talk about that. Like, um, so people listening are like, you know, you know, this guy Rick brought in this guy, this Jewish guy <laughs> from Egypt, you know, that his family Zionist, but you know, you speak against Zionism. Can you talk about the history, what what drove Zionism? You know, what what's the early stages of it? You know, who maybe the, who are the players, you know? Yeah, I can I can get uh like a lot of people have can probably explain this a lot better than me. Um, but I can definitely give give it my best shot and provide some context and history. But I definitely would recommend for anyone wanting to like learn more to read On Palestine by Ilan Pape and Noam Chomsky, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine by Ilan Pape, uh, Orientalism by Edward Said for like a more broad context on how the West has tried to define us as Arab people. Um, and definitely would recommend for like learning more about Arab Jews, uh, the book When We Were Arabs by Masoud Hayoun, who is like the godfather of Jewish Arabs, I would say. He's a, a really incredible human, and uh, I've learned a lot from him. And also, he's just been like an incredible resource for me. Um, so yeah, I would just, I'd like to start by just saying like Zionism is inherently anti-Semitic. Um, like Herzl, so 1880, there was this dude named Theodore Herzl. He was Hungarian, Jewish. He was tired of being persecuted um, and like all the pogroms and killings of Jews happening in Europe. So he was like, we need a Jewish state. He did this in a way like from the very outset, it was colonial. Um, and he promised Europe that Israel would essentially be an arm for European colonialism should Britain aid in the colonization of Palestine. And like the anti-Semites will become our most dependable friends. The anti-Semitic countries are allies. Like he knew what he was doing. He knew that like one, these, you know, other countries didn't want Jewish people. So they would support something that would get them out. And that two, if he were to act as an arm of colonization for Europeans who were ravaging the Middle East at the time, that he could get that kind of support. Um, so the argument was essentially that Jews could never integrate into a non-Jewish society and that necessitated a Jewish state which is just incredibly counter to the reality globally. Like I said, like we lived side by side with our neighbors for centuries. Um, and like in Baghdad in 1930s, Jewish Arabs made up 20% of the population. Um, and not to say that there wasn't anti-Semitism in these countries. Like there was at the same time, you know, like the Farhud happened, which was um, a night when, Hundreds of Iraqi Jews were murdered and thousands of businesses and homes were destroyed. So I'm not trying to say it was like a perfect time, um, but Zionism was definitely like the leading factor to that dispossession. And at the same time as that, that was happening, you had these Zionist militias like the Haganah, the Irgun, the Palmach, um, the Stein Gang, 
and the Haganah specifically, they were essentially just terrorist militias. They would, you know, they blew up the King David Hotel and killed a bunch of British people. They would bomb Palestinian villages. They would bomb. But the, the most shocking thing to me that I learned later in life is that they were actually bombing uh, synagogues. They bombed a synagogue in Baghdad. They bombed a synagogue in Cairo. And the intention was to make the populations in those countries feel like they were unsafe, like they weren't part of the country. And like they had to leave and go to this Jewish homeland, um, which was just so counter to the reality. And like the head rabbi of Iraq in 1947, just before, you know, Israel was declared a state, uh, went on record. And like the New York Times wrote an article about it where he was like, we are Iraqi. The people of Iraq want nothing to do with Zionism. Zionism is not for us. We are Iraqi Jews and we're proud. And other countries like Morocco, where Jews still live today. Like I've I've spent a bit of time there and have a lot of close friends who are Moroccan. Like uh, my friend Adnan, who's Muslim, went to a Jewish school uh, for high school. So like the Jewish community in Morocco was always very strong, and there were five hundred thousand of them. And King Mohammed the fifth, I believe. Um, right now I think it's the sixth. Yeah, and then Hassan the second. So yeah, King Mohammed the fifth um, put out a statement saying that like Morocco would. Like that the Jewish people of Morocco were Moroccan and that he wouldn't let them be stolen by another country. He wouldn't let them be divided and that Morocco would protect its Jewish population. So all of these narratives that were being spun were really based on the European experience of Jews, which then was sort of uh, pitched or given as the entire narrative for all Jewish people. And even that... Um, anti-Semitism that was like rampant in Europe and still exists today is fueled by the same forces that, um, you know, caused the occupation of Palestine and the genocide and ethnic cleansing happening there today, which is colonialism. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, that, you know, this, um, brings me, of a, a, a memory of a conversation I had that, you know, um, I had a friend when I was on my undergrad and uh, she grew up, she was like 12 years old when the invasion of Iraq happened from the U.S. forces, you know? And by her family was from a very small Catholic community in Iraq, you know? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, she told me that they lived, they lived, you know, in, you know, together with other, you know, like, you know, Muslims and other Christians, you know, in, in Iraq. And then after the invasion, it got real hostile and her family felt like she had to leave. But it shows you that how, like, you know, colonization, occupation divides people, you know. And uh, it was, and I interviewed her well before this podcast for like a small thing for school. And uh, it was during that when ISIS was becoming, you know, a thing, you know, back mm -hmm. in 2000 and. Uh, 14-ish, and I was, yeah, I was, I was just like, I've never heard, because I was in the military, I never heard that it was like Catholics in, <laughs> you know, in Iraq, and I was, you know, you always hear about the sh sh Sunni and Shia, but you never hear about the other, you know, minority, uh, you know, religious communities, but, you know, it's, the same thing happened, you know, when, uh, during my undergrad, I had a, a professor that was Iranian, and he also spoke about how, you know, their Jewish populations are you know, the kids, they consider themselves Iranian and, you know, and um, he was spoke to, he, this professor always spoke against Zionism as well, 
which I, you know, that, you know, early in my life, you know, I learned a lot from him, you know, uh, you know, his perspectives, but yeah, continue. Sorry. No, absolutely. And like, we see that today, like with, so there were all these unique communities all over the Arab world, all over North Africa that were Jewish traditionally. You had Amazigh Jewish people, Arab Jewish people, um, Egyptian Jewish, Lebanese, and they all had these unique cultures. When they got to Palestine, the Zionist government called them all Mizrahi, which means Eastern or Oriental. And they pretty much were like, you are all one group. You're all the same because you're Arab and Jewish but they wanted to erase that term Arab and they literally called it de-Arabizing the population. And that's why my mom is, you know, her first language is Arabic, but she can't read or write it because her family was scared to teach her because they would literally be beaten for speaking Arabic um, in, you know, schools and things like that. So it was this intense, intense campaign to de-Arabize this population and the existence of this population by bringing in um, the Jewish Arab population, they were attempting to legitimize their occupation of the land by saying, look, we're on Arab land and we're Arab people. When in reality, they had treated these people like second-class citizens, put them in camps, beat them for speaking their languages, sprayed them with DDT, literally stole their children and give them away, um, which I'll talk about later. It almost happened to my mother. Um, and then call us Mizrahi, which is insane because I'm not from east of anywhere. I'm from the land I'm from. Um, I'm not Oriental. I don't even know what that word means. And because this population was, you know, treated as a second class um, and told, like, you're not Arab, Arabs are the enemy, um, and trying to kind of conflate Palestinian people with all Arab people. And um, so you have this entire class of people like my cousins who deny their own Arabness and are like the most racist motherfuckers you'll ever meet because they're trying so hard to deny their own existence and to like prove that they're Israeli and that they're not Arab, to prove that they're Jewish. And we'll be sitting there in the kitchen um, talking with my cousins and they'll be talking about Ha'aravim, Ha'aravim, the Arabs, this and that. Well, our parents are cooking Maluchia, speaking Arabic. Um, you know, being Arab. <laughs> um, and I'm like, do you not see the cognitive dissonance here? Like, listen to your dad right now. He's speaking Arabic. He was born in Alexandria. He wears a galabiyah on Friday. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're not Arab. We're Egyptian Jewish. It's different. Like the Bible, like the, like Moses. And I'm like, okay, fuck. Uh, because that's just so delusional um, to think that like, our DNA, our blood is distinctly different than, you know, any random dude in Egypt. Like, I'm sure, like, genetically, I'm a lot more similar to Al-Sisi than I am to uh, Jacob the Settler or whatever. Um, just because even though we're all Jewish people, we're not a monolith, we're not an ethnic group, we're not a race, even though people like to try and push that narrative, it's just simply not the case. We just all follow the same customs, even though we each have distinct ones, you know, like I celebrate Shabbat a lot differently than like my friend Ari, who his family is um, full Ashkenazi. Yeah, that brings me to like, so, yeah, to um, like, the, you know, settler colonial projects are, they always want to absorb, you know, uh, 
different ethnicities into like this nationalism, right? Do you do you feel like Zionism is more of a na- of a nationalism than anything, or? I think it's um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely just a settler colonial project based in lies. So they've like created this narrative. Um, so I, I can get into it. So like, I'll just get into the history a little bit. So like 1880s, Jewish Hungarian dude named Theodor Herzl was tired of Jews getting pogromed and fucked with. And he was like, let's make a state. Um, we'll be safe in this utopian homeland. And like from the onset, it was like seeped in toxic masculinity um, that like lives on today in a huge way in Zionism. We see with the Israeli occupational forces and their violence and um yeah, essentially, like the idea itself wasn't sinister, the Jewish right to self-determination. But for Herzl, uh, when he said Jewish people, a state for Jewish people, he meant European Jews. And when he said self-determination, he meant colonization. Um, so like in the 1880s, he starts trading or in the 1870s, starts training like Jewish socialists, which he was like a leader in the Jewish socialist movement to do gymnastics, which like at the time that was peak physical fitness. Um so they started getting jacked and like planning a Jewish homeland. And his initial idea was like, let's go to Argentina. And everyone in Argentina was like, fuck off. Uh, so he was like, how about Uganda? And they tried, they actually tried to buy land in Uganda, but it didn't end up working out. And then this like secular, like Herzl was incredibly secular. He was not a religious person. So a secular socialist guy who was like the father of Zionism was like, how about Palestine? It's our ancestral homelands. It's from like in the Torah, like, you know, we'll create the nation of Israel, just like in the Bible. And at that time, Palestine was under Ottoman rule. um, But it was pretty much open borders. So it was definitely not the best, you know, it was still an empire. And there was a lot of revolts against the Ottoman colonizers, uh, who were like, you know, Ottoman Turk. Um, And it wasn't a great empire, but Herzl pitched to the European leaders and was like, yo, we'll be we'll be a civilizing force among this barbarism. We'll be a beacon of Western values in the Middle East. So they bought some land in Palestine and the first wave of what they call Aliyah, which means like rising up and like everything about like the language is very intentional to make it seem like it's this like God given right. Like it's some manifest destiny bullshit. Um, and so they came and. Um, you know, there were Jewish populations who'd been living there forever, pre-48, and they were Christian and Muslim. There were, you know, all these different populations living in Palestine, Christians, Muslims, Jews, Druze, Bedouin. um, And those people probably would have taken these European Jews who were fleeing violence with open arms as refugees. If they were like, yo, we're getting murdered over here. Um, we have historical connections to this land. Can we join you kind of thing? And we saw that like in the early stages of Zionism, like in 1917, uh, the Hebrew university was founded and it was like founded by Einstein and all these other people. And it was funded by Palestinian families. Cause they were like into this idea of like sharing, you know, intellectual information, sharing like shared security, all of these things that ended up being, you know, that was never the intention. Um, so it still hadn't happened yet. And at the time when Herzl came, he was pitching it as like, you know, 
this colonial project, but also as like a project that would be mutually beneficial and we'd share knowledge and security and kind of live harmoniously, but with the Europeans as a guiding hand. And it's like just, yeah, absolute colonizer, white savior nonsense. Um, but he hadn't gone like full genocidal ethnic cleansing. Like there was no talk of like, we need to cleanse these people from the land. Um, and that didn't happen until a little later with people like Ben Gurion, who was like the first president of Israel, or sorry, the first prime minister. Um, so like a generation passes after this first Aliyah, and these people have been living, you know, on kibbutzim, which are like cooperative farms. And their whole idea is like, we're not going to be like weak, uh, like weak little Jews in Europe, you know, getting killed and getting forced to work in banking jobs and um, pushed into these positions of society that we don't want to be in. We're going to be like strong farmers and we're going to have militias and armies and we're going to protect ourselves and we're going to get tan. And it was like some serious toxic masculinity. Um, and at that time, like Jewish socialists, anarchists, communists, Yiddishists, liberal assimilationists, uh, all, almost in the entire Orthodox population rejected um Zionism, because it was inherently anti-Semitic and colonial, and was just, did not align with Jewish values. And there was this thing that they used to say, a land without people for a people without land. And that was used in like Hasbara, which is like spreading the like propaganda for Israel. That was used like across the world, in America, in Europe, to like raise funds, like we're just going to this land without any people and we're going to make the desert bloom and just lies. Um, so yeah, like a generation passes and they're like, we need to solidify this colonial project. We need like one, we need a language because it was like Hungarians and Russians and um, Armenians and just all these different people who spoke different languages. So they were like Hebrew at the time was only a liturgic language was only used for prayer. Um, and they were like, we're going to recreate the Hebrew language and make it like a modern language um, that we all use so we can all speak to each other. And by adopting like a Semitic language, they were validating their existence on Semitic lands, essentially on, on Arab lands. Um, but it's funny because like when my mom speaks Hebrew, she she's in her native language is Arabic. So she when she speaks Hebrew, she speaks it correctly, like the way you're supposed to. She pronounces her ayns and her chits and. Um, it's which you rarely hear these days because the Ashka normative sort of Hebrew has become the standard where like that letter Ayn, which is like, was just impossible for European people to pronounce. They just made it a silent letter. So they even colonized Hebrew, um, which is sad. Um, so yeah, I'll s skip forward a little to through all the kibbutzim and stuff was happening. Um, so like in 1918, world war one ends, the Ottoman empire falls and the British take control of Palestine. Um, and they become its occupying force. And the year before this in 1917, this French fuck, uh, named Arthur James Balfour, who was an anti-Semite, a colonizer, and just a general piece of shit, um, announced his support for the establishment of a national homeland for the Jewish people through an official and he did this through an official declaration called the Balfour Declaration and for him it was like it worked out great it would get all the Jews out of France and they'd been granted citizenship maybe like Jews could not be citizens in France till I think 1910 um so they had he 
was like, this is a great idea. We'll get rid of all our Jews. We'll have a colonizing force in the East. It'll be perfect. Um, so, yeah, it was not from like a good place of like believing in Jewish right to self-determination. Like everything about it was foul. Um, so people really seized onto this idea and it got ramped up. And in the 19, like 30s, the French government who had like, yeah, only granted citizenship 20 years before started sending French, uh, Jewish French people to Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Egypt to try and essentially like turn the Arab population, um, into an indigenous arm of colonization for North Africa. And so they started like opening all these schools and, not letting people wear their traditional clothing and not letting them speak their languages, only teaching them French history. Um, and it's like really appalling. Like you can actually go back and read these reports from the French Zionist organization in the 1930s. And uh, Masoud Hayoun gets into it um, in the book, When We Were Arabs, in like a really great way or a really informative way. But they talk about like the indigenous uh, Jewish Algerian women being essentially unfit for anything except for maids or prostitutes. But they, they were really good at that. Um, so like just absolutely viewing these people as, you know, less than second class citizens. And the same propaganda was going on across North Africa, which was just generally unsuccessful because these people had been, you know, they're they're like, no, I'm Algerian. I'm not French. I'm not. Israeli. I don't even know what Israeli means. Um, so it was generally rejected, but um, by the time that 1948 rolled around and Zionism had also, you know, like the Pan-Arab movement had risen in sort of contrast to Zionism. And like by that time, um, things had got so tense that most of those countries did end up ethnically cleansing the Jewish populations and like seizing all of their possessions. Um, but yeah, like the militias I mentioned earlier, they were like actual terrorists, um, you know, bombing synagogues in Cairo and Baghdad to scare the Jewish populations into not feeling safe, into fleeing, and to convince their Jewish neighbors that they were, you know, not actually their brothers and their neighbors, but they were an outside enemy. Um, so 1940s roll around and there's this Zionist who his parents are from Poland. He was born in Jerusalem and his name is Ben Gurion. Um, and he was like really the, I'd say people call him the father of Israel. I would call him like the father of ethnic cleansing and genocide of Palestine. Cause he was the one who really set that precedent um, for like, we need to, get these people off the land by any means and make it our own land. Otherwise we'll never be safe. Um, so yeah, the forties roll around and Ben Gurion is like the leader of this, one of these militias and the militias at times were like even fighting each other. Um, cause they were all, you know, you had like reform Zionists and liberal Zionists and, uh, all these different types. So Zionists who had different ideas for how Israel would be colonized, but they were all just different ideas for colonization. There were people who were calling for like, we need a binational state that supports each other, a Palestinian and Jewish state and uh, those kind of things, which is still just like colonization light because it's not your fucking land. Um, and people, you know, have used that argument of like, we are indigenous people to this land, blah, blah, blah. 3000 years ago, the Romans forced us to flee. Um, but it's just such a ridiculous argument because 
like yeah sure we had like jewish people had a kingdom from 280 to 280 bce to 70 ad but like so did the canaanites so did the philistines so did the hittites like lots of people historically were indigenous to that land and at the time of colonization in 1948 like it was clear that these Europeans were not indigenous to this land and that the people who were living on the land as indigenous people were indigenous to the land, which some of them were Jewish, but they weren't like, we're Israeli. They were like, I'm Palestinian and Jewish and it's great. Um, <laughs> so like Ben Gurion, the one, so people a lot of times will be like Ben Gurion, he was this amazing person, da da da. Ethnic cleansing never happened. Uh, there was a war. Like the narrative that we're fed is like it was the Jews versus the Arabs. There was this great war, and all the Arab countries came together to invade Israel, and Israel fought them back and took more land. And, you know, that's how they got the state. And it was through this like courageous battle, which is just absolute horseshit. Um, like, yes, there were like small, small delegations coming from Arab countries. Um, to defend Palestinian villages, but like really small numbers. And they weren't there to like fight a war. They were more there to act as like a buffer. And Ben-Gurion like went full genocidal psycho mode when he wrote something called Plan Dalit, which is, I'll just like read that to Israeli people when they're arguing with me and trying to say like, no, we, you know, we got this land um, rightfully and these things happen in war, and then I'll I'll actually here. Let me pull it up really quick. I'll just read part of Plan Dalit because reading the words of Ben Gurion is like, you know, you can't get much more direct than that. So, okay, mounting operations against enemy population centers located inside or near our defensive system in order to prevent them from being used as bases by active armed forces. These can be divided into the following categories. Destruction of villages, setting fire to, blowing up, and planting mines and debris, especially those population centers which were dif which are difficult to control continuously. Mounting search and control operations according to the following guidelines. The encirclement of a village and conducting a search inside it. In the event of resistance, the armed forces must be destroyed and the population must be expelled outside the borders of the state. So... Anyone who says what's happening in Palestine is not ethnic cleansing is just intentionally being ignorant because all you have to do is read the words of the quote founding father of Israel and you'll see that like that was the intention from the onset. Yeah, that sounds like ethnic, ethnic cleansing. Do you want to continue with the history? Because I have questions, but I don't want to interrupt your history you know, your little, your lesson. No, uh, please ask questions. Like that's, I, I'm yeah. Okay. So <laughs> first off, um, talk about, I know we talked about this, you know, early, uh, before the recording was about DNA test within, uh, Israel, like how it, the, okay, how they're yeah. banned. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so they, so, like, all those, like, uh, blood quantum colonizer DNA tests, like 23andMe and Ancestry and all that, they're banned in Israel. Um, and they say, like, I, I'm, I don't even know what the reason they give is, but it's, like, so clear that they're just terrified that all of these, quote, Mizrahi, like, the Jewish Arab population, will take these tests and realize that they're just, you know, some of them are Palestinian, some of them are Egyptian, some of them are Jordanian, some of them... Um, are Iraqi and that they're not like distinct 
ethnic groups and like i don't know it's like i almost want them to legalize it even though i don't support those tests and especially like the government controlling our having our dna but i just think it would be funny because it completely shatters their entire narrative um by you know the narrative that it's jews versus arabs and we're a distinct ethnic group and all of these things and i've had these arguments like with my brother who's a very smart person and and also uh, a troubled person and a very staunch supporter of Zionism. And he'll give me 50 reasons why Jewish people are indigenous and write me an essay about it. But like, in the end, it just comes down to like, who was on that land and what, who were the indigenous people? Um, and there's like, you know, these things that they'll try, they try and Israel loves trying to use like archeological evidence and DNA evidence to prove their legitimacy in Palestine, which is just so ridiculous, because like if you're having to like pull up charts and graphs to prove that you're from somewhere, you're probably not fucking from there. Um, I do want to say, and I do want to put my input about the methods. Uh, so you know, um, as a native person growing up in the U.S., I you know obviously got you know from my childhood bombarded with a bunch of colonial propaganda, right? And one of them is. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see, you know, the History Channel. And the History Channel doesn't really tell you everything. It's only what, whatever, you know, that production crew wants to give you. It's always like, oh, Hitler. You know, they're obsessed with Nazis, you know, the History Channel. But then like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, you know, all the Jews were tired of it. So they went to, you know, Palestine and, you know, created their, you know, their state, but they never talk about like the players, just like you did. They never talk about you know the, the atrocities they pulled on the Palestinian people, you know. And that's that's you know to me it's disturbing. But you know, growing up, I think you know seeing the evangelicals supporting the evangelical Christians in the U.S. supporting uh, Zionism or for you know, supporting a settler state of you know Israel. And to me, it's weird because I always tell them, well, if you support Israel and giving them their land back that they, you know, got 2,000, you know, they lost 2,000 years ago from the Romans, wouldn't you support giving land back to the native people that lost their land from you, from, from you know, you, your family, settlers, you know, 100 yep. years ago, 200 years ago? I mean, we're still here. You know, to me, it's weird that they... They, you know, they, the mental gymnastics the Americans do, especially evangelicals, right? They will well, they will say stuff like, "Well, we beat you through conquests," and it's just like, "What the fuck?" Like that's your excuse, well, conquest. You you want to justify colonization by by you know saying throwing the dice and saying here conquest, but you know, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I got a phone call. Go ahead. Oh, no worries. It's like, uh, like fucking Netanyahu. I forget exactly what he said, but like history remembers the strong for the good or for the ill, the strong or who get, who decide the pages of history. And it's like, Oh, cool. Like you just want to genocide everyone and then tell a lie after. Um, it's just super telling, but evangelicals in particular, they're the fucking worst because, the only reason they support Zionism in the state of Israel is because in their religion, they believe that if the Jews return to their holy land, all of us 
then that will cause the second coming uh, or third coming I'm, uh, of Jesus. And then everyone will ascend to heaven and the evangelicals will ascend to heaven from Jerusalem and the Jews who would come to their Holy Land will be their servants in heaven. So like that's their end goal is for a fucking rapture and then Jewish slaves. That's fucking um, creepy as fuck. Because yeah, if, why would they become, why would the Jewish become in heaven? They're what? What's it called? It's like we, we're, we're going to be like their servants in heaven. Like we're like allowed in heaven, but not as like full on angels or I don't know. Um, but we're just there to essentially be like their, their serving class. I've um, never heard that. Yeah, no, it's fucking wild. I like when I meet evangelicals and they're like, Oh, you Jewish. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, but you, so you have groups on, on the other side, like you have the Nutria Carta who are, uh, anti-Zionist Orthodox Jews. They're the ones you see at protests all the time. Um, being like, we believe in a free Palestine. There should be no Israel. Uh, and they're all, you know, decked out in like the, like, that's how my brother dresses. He's Orthodox. Uh, so in like, we call them penguins, uh, the black and white suits. And so those guys show up at all these Palestinian liberation protests and everyone's like, fuck yeah. But even them, their goal for them, if Jewish people go to Jerusalem and the Holy Land before our Messiah comes, then our Messiah can never come. So for them, the rapture essentially can't come with Jews in Israel. So that's why they're against it. They're not like, we believe that the indigenous people of Palestine have, you know, right to sovereignty on their land. They're like, we're just trying to get to heaven. Um, oh my God, this is wild. Yeah. I, yeah. So I have a hard time trusting like religious movements support of anything. <laughs> yeah. So th- I, I, when I was working in, um, it was like a Walmart distribution center. It was like, you know, un- unloading the, the fucking trucks. It was like a night shift. And there was this other guy helping me. Uh, he was a white dude and he was an evangelical Christian. And he were like, try to tell me how, you know, all his religious shit, trying to convert me, you know? And I was like, and I told him these things. I was like, well, don't you support, you know, land back for the native people then? And, you know, he said some shit to me and, and it shocked me. And I, and I was like, what the fuck? He was like, I would never join the U.S. military. The only military I would ever join is like Israeli military if they were getting invaded by like, Arab countries. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, like you're not even <laughs> Israeli. What the fuck is that? And I heard, I've, you know, I, I heard stories. Go ahead. Hello. Oh no, I was just laughing at that. Cause it's oh. like so many people I know who yeah. are these random fucking white dudes from Portland or New York. And are like, I have to go fight for my country. And I'm like, whose country? Uh, it's very strange to me. Like, yeah, all it, these Europe. American white dudes just joining the IDF because it's like really some manifest destiny bullshit. It's like we are we're chosen by God to protect this land. Um, and they really try and like evoke that biblical like the Judeans versus the, the Philistines. And like people will literally be like Palestinians are the Philistines and we drove them out and da da da. And then the Romans banned us and like trying to use this ridiculous biblical history when in reality like the people who live lived in the Levant historically were the same people. And at different times, they had different rulers who, you know, converted them to different religions. Like during the caliphate, lots of the Jewish population converted to Islam before the, 
you know, the state of Judea and Israel in like 270 BCE, you had, you know, pagans and tribes. And um, so it was just like really trying to build this narrative of Jews versus Arabs, Jews versus Arabs, when in reality, like Jews are not a monolith. We can be, you know, you have Ethiopian Jews and Ukrainian Jews and Palestinian Jews and Arabs are not a monolith. You have, you know, we're united by like, a culture and a region and food and a language, but there's so many different kinds of Arab people. You know, you've got like black Arabs and white Arabs and brown Arabs and Christian Arabs and Muslim Arabs and Druze Arabs. And um, it just really, if you just look like one layer below the surface, you see that the entire narrative of this like biblical ongoing war is just complete bullshit that was fabricated in the 1940s or like starting in the 1880s until the 1940s to justify and validate a colonial settler project. I agree. You know, and it's, it's wild because you know, there was somebody else, you know, um, I experienced in my undergrad, uh, we had to do reports and then his report was on his, on his travels to Israel. And this dude was like, Oh yeah, this was nice. This was nice. Oh, but we had to try. We had to go within like an Arab community. Ooh, that was so scary. And I was just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I was like, "What was the most racist shit you could ever say during your school project?" You know, in college, you know, saying that the Arab, you know, he was a white dude. He's like going to the Arab community was so scary. And it was like, you know, what's scary to me? Driving to Texas and seeing Nazi flags. You know what I'm saying? Or Confederate oh, yeah. flags. Fuck that. You know? So like, like go ahead. Oh yeah, no, just like like it's so wild to me. Like we someone posted on a next door app kind of thing in Gladstone two days ago and was like, So I'm just wondering about these Indians dancing and playing instruments in the park. Um I'm not like I'm not against them, but gosh, I'm just trying to walk my dog and I feel like I'm messing up their ceremony and, and if anybody has any information about this, I'd like to know because it's the fourth time they've taken over the pub, the park. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, uh, if first of all, if you don't like it, keep walking. And second, like, you're upset that the people whose land you stole and occupy are using a public park? And you see that the same exact thing in Palestine um, where it's like, yeah, ooh, I had to go in this Arab village. Ooh, I had to... I went to the Dead Sea and we had to drive through the West Bank. It was so scary. And it's like every inch of land you're on when you're in Palestine is Palestine. There's like Israel is a like Israel is a government and a settler colonialist project. But like anywhere you are, even if you're in a Jewish village, you're sitting on stolen land. Like there was no. Yeah, they, everything that's there was taken. Yeah, I agree. You know, and that's the thing. It's. <sighs> Well, you know, that you any settler colonial project wants everybody to, you know, fall under the same culture, under the same, you know, uh, it, and it seems like it's weird to me because I, I've heard, you know, white people in Texas, you know, say, well, you know, we live in Texas, you know, within Mexicans, you know, like they have the dead. That's our culture, too. Right. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, no, it's not. You know, you can't absorb somebody else's culture, you know, or, or they always just talk shit about you know, the culture parts of the, that they don't like. It's wild to me. It's wild, you know, and, and um, I don't know, man. Like, so growing up, you say, did you grow up in Egypt or did you grow up in the U.S.? 
I grew up in Portland, and I grew up with my mama uh, and my brother. And, yeah. So, yeah. So, okay, we'll talk about then your recent, your most recent trip to, you know, um, Egypt. You went to Egypt, right? Like a month ago? Uh, no. I was I was in Palestine for a month. I was supposed to go to Egypt for 10 days with my mama to Shar al-Mashikh and uh, Dahab, but we had to cancel that part of the trip because, like, COVID was rising and my mom is old and I just didn't want to risk it. Um, so we were just in Palestine uh, for a month. Can you talk about that? What, you know, I know there was uprisings. Oh, there's uprisings right now, you know. Um, and can you talk about what, what, what you saw, you know, what you heard, anything? Um, cool. Yeah, I can talk about it. Um, I'm sorry, I thought I wrote some notes, but I didn't. Um, so, yeah, it's anytime. So, like, I love my mama more than anything in the world. And visiting her is, like, very important to me. But anytime I'm visiting occupied Palestine, it weighs heavily on me. Um, just the fact that me as a American-born Jewish Egyptian can go catch a flight and travel freely within the country when my Palestinian brothers and sisters and siblings don't have that option and they can't even enter the country of their home and their parents can't go to the villages where they were born. So anytime I'm there, it, it weighs heavily on me. And no matter what, no matter how much I make an effort to like only stay in Palestinian-owned hotels and buy from Palestinian businesses, um, inherently I'm supporting the occupation by being there. So that's always difficult. Um, one thing that's a huge blessing is like for my for my whole life, I've kind of been a black sheep in my family. And my mom is like incredibly supportive of the work I do. She's incredibly supportive of Palestinian liberation. Um, she also doesn't believe Zionism was for everyone. And um, just from her own experience and her own family history. So like something that kind of held me back from um, doing Palestinian liberation work for a long time was my mom's safety. Because um, years ago when I was there, uh, and I was in Isawiya, which is in East Jerusalem, and staying with some friends, and um, we'd been in a protest, and she started getting calls in the middle of the night, like, your son's with Hamas, he's a fucking terrorist, he's in Gaza, and she would call me, like, like Barack, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm in Jerusalem, like, I'm, I'm just chilling. And she'd be crying and so stressed out, and that was the last time that I was living there, and I left because I was like, she, I don't want... You know, I can do what I want, but I don't want to put her through um, any pain or suffering after she's already had such a like traumatic life. Do you know who called her? Who was you know? That's that's violence. Right I there. have I have no idea, and maybe the IDF, maybe some angry person who saw a post I wrote, but somebody like found her number and called her to tell her that her son was a terrorist. Um, so at this point, after like years of living back in Portland and continuing work with Palestinian liberation and like having really good conversations with my mom about it, she's just like, do whatever you want. Like, I support you. Like, I'm not fucking scared. 
Um, so that's definitely empowered me to like not be scared to speak out. And even if like, you know, my cousins and uncles are like, you're a traitor, you're a fucking idiot. Um, you're delusional. Like you, like you just, just, you're, you know, this is like kumbaya bullshit. We'll never be able to live together. Um, but I just have kind of found the strength to unapologetically and honestly talk about things. And yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's a mix whenever I'm there because I'm like with my mama and with my family and my brother and, you know, getting amazing food cooked for me and getting kind of taken care of in that way. But then also just like in this brutal occupation, like you see it, all you have to do is open your eyes. Like when I lived in uh, Alcatraz and was going to school, there i would just see like my classmates miss random days because they didn't get through the checkpoint or they'd come to school with a black eye because a soldier attacked them um from my window of the apartment i lived in in uh Sofim, which borders sheikh jarrah and isawiya which are both east jerusalem and we used to see like horrible crackdowns on protest you know people on fridays would go and protest and then they'd start tear gassing them and beating them and then there'd be a tire fire and we were just you know like living in this immense privilege well we're literally like 50 feet away people were being brutalized so that was a huge force in radicalizing me just being there in 2012 and seeing the reality um in like an honest way so yeah, I have a question about that because you know you watch like um, I guess the Abby Martin interviewing people in Israel during this last um, like uprising, and you know you know you, you see Jewish people saying that you know the, the Israeli state should carpet bomb Palestinian <laughs> Palestinians, you know, and it's so disgusting, you know how yeah. how. And it's shocking because it's like, you know, like if your ancestors went through all this discrimination, you know, and it's like, and then now you're supporting genocide. It's just like, what the fuck are you doing? You know what I'm saying? And if we, I will get to that in the future about decolonization in the U.S. and weird, weird shit that people think about it. But, you know, like, do you ever, uh, I mean, like, what... Do what well, I don't know how to ask this question. Like, what percentage of you know people in Israel support you know Zionism, and what, what in your opinion, what what so, you know like are afraid to to speak out against it, but don't support it, and what you know like in your opinion, what percentage like don't support it and speak out against it? You know, because obviously you are against it and speak out against it too. Yeah. Um, so. I can only speak for myself um, because, yeah, I'm I don't ever like to, you know, speak on behalf of other people. But from what I've seen, it's like just the fact that, OK, most people, a majority of like your average Israeli doesn't support like a settler and like the settlers marching in Jerusalem and chanting death to Arabs. They say we don't support them. They're crazy, but they do absolutely nothing to stop them. And they still have this solidarity with them over the people that they're attacking um, just because they're Jewish and they buy into that narrative. And they're like, well, I can't hate them. They're Jewish. And 
like I have a cousin who was in the IOF and we were getting into some pretty intense arguments over the past month. And at one point he was, you know, trying to say like, no, we do like moral, you know, we act morally. And as he's telling me about like occupying all these homes in Hebron um, and literally like causing terror to families. But what he was saying was, he's like, there are definitely things about it that were difficult for me. Like when the settlers would be attacking a Palestinian person, because we're in Palestinian territory and we don't have jurisdiction, which is just bullshit because they just do whatever they want anyway, um, we can't help that Palestinian person. And the only thing we can do is call the Palestinian Authority police to help him, which, you know, that they're not going to come. Um, but if a settler is being attacked by a Palestinian because that settler is a state, a, a citizen of the state of Israel, they have to protect that settler. And so, like, if you want a more clear like i i can't think of a more clear definition of apartheid than like these people get assistance from the army and these people get beaten by the army it's just um yeah it's undeniable that and is the same shit that happens the same shit that, that when it comes to reservation law like if you know indians are you know indian law or indian does a crime against an indian then it's like false you know sovereignty of the tribe but, you know, whenever, like, a white person, something happens to a white person in the res, oh, let's get the federal agents out here. You know what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> it's just like, fuck, you know? So, you know, and then sometimes so that's why white people, they, they think they can run amok on reservation because, you know, they're like, oh, we don't, you know, the tribe can't arrest me. And then they, they, they cause ruckus and then, you know, they get their ass beat. But then, you know, and then they're like, look, what happened to me? Help me. And it's just like, no, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> but, you know, fuck that. Keep, I'll keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No, fuck that. And it's so you might find this interesting, like multiple times in the past month when I was just arguing with random Israelis about genocide and apartheid, they would bring up. Native Americans. And they're like, well, Wild. you're one to talk. You live in America. You guys stole that entire country. So what's the difference? And I'm like, great point to bring up. Let's talk about it. We did steal our entire country. It's a settler colonial project, just like Israel. And we need to give all land back to all indigenous people. And they get pissed because they're, they're so ultra nationalist that like, when they say that, they expect nothing else than me defending my country. And being like, don't talk about America. We did that, you know? And I'm like, yeah, no, America is the most foul country in the world. And Israel is the 51st state. Yeah, so I want to talk about, like, land back and decolonization a little bit. So when I talk about land back to, because, uh, I, I, you know, I've been talking about, you know, you know, on this podcast for, you know, the one question that keeps coming up is, like, how do you imagine, how do you imagine decolonization? You know, because, you know, like, we have to know what it looks like in order for us to get yeah. there, right? And, you know, when I talk about decolonization, you know, with, you know, like a, a, a non-native or with a native, you know, totally different answers. But especially when it comes to speaking about land back or decolonization with a white person, you know, because I think they do like self-projections. Like they're like, oh, I don't like that idea. You know, there's only a little bit of natives. And what am I supposed to do? Go back to like Europe? Uh, you know, my family have been there in hundreds of years. And, you know, what else do they say? <laughs> they're, they're like, oh, but not, does that mean now like the, the Indian people are, are going to be able to like mistreat us? And it's like, dude, like that's the shit that you, you're doing right now. Yeah. Exactly. That's what y'all do. 
<laughs> oh my god, we just see the the exact same thing like when a Palestine like Israelis call for the genocide of Palestinians. They chant death to Arabs. Palestinians chant for freedom from the river to the sea. They want Palestine to be free from the river to the sea. It's different language. Like one side is speaking the language of colonization, of genocide, of murder. The other side is speaking the language of freedom, of sovereignty. And then Israelis take from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free and say, look, they want to throw us all in the sea. And it's like, where the fuck did you get that? Like, and it's so interesting because I have these conversations with people and they're like, well, what do you want to do? Just give it all back to to Palestinians. And then they're what they'll put us in a, then we'll be living like in Gaza. And five minutes before they said that they were talking about how Gaza wasn't that bad and how Gaza, the only reason that they're living in oppression is because of Hamas and how Hamas uses all of the funds to build tunnels and they could be building schools and all this amazing stuff and how they're the, the ones who have caused the destruction. And they're the reason that they live this, you know, live in an open air prison. And it's not like the fact that Israel has blockaded and sanctioned them since 2006. Um, they just leave that entire part out. And they're like, they want to put us, you know, they'll put us in Gaza, they'll put us in concentration camps. And I'm like, literally no one's ever said that. Um, like every, I have so many Palestinian friends and siblings and they all want the same thing. And that's freedom on their own land. None, I've never met a Palestinian who calls for the ethnic cleansing of Jews. Even the colonizer Jews who shouldn't be there, they still don't want to kick them off their land. They still, what they always say to me, like my close friend says this all the time, like, I wish we could show them how good of a life they would have as Palestinians. And that totally blows me away. Like when I was first having these conversations, because I grew up being told they want you dead. They want to push every Jew in the sea. They want us, you know, that's their only goal. And it's because we're Jewish. There was never this colonial framework of like, we're the people who came and stole their land. It was always, we're Jewish people. So they want us dead. Just like everyone's wanted us dead for thousands of years. And we have to protect ourselves. And it's just such horseshit. That's, that's what I tell people because, you know, I've met people that, you know, to claim to be native. And we talk about, when we talk about decolonization it becomes like, oh, Europeans should go back. But these people are always like, I find out maybe like later on, you know, during talks or do other people, they're not natives. I'm like, okay, you were kind of weird in the first place. But, you know, me personally, I don't think, you know, kicking white people or anybody else out of the country after decolonization. You know, first off, I imagine decolonization is is having total sovereignty over the land, which means, like, you know, a government that's like uh indigenous based so we we as indigenous people we already have you know tribal governments you know 573 i think it is so like why not have one representative from each tribe right and to go into this like uh, congress or senate or whatever but we all i also believe that maybe we should make another you know like uh house for non-native people you know, because they, they're going to need rep- representation, too. Because, you know, think of, if you really think about it, you know, first off, you know, black people can't go back. They, they got disconnected from the roots, right? That's, like, very simple, plain, you know. But there's also Chinese people that got brought here forcefully, you know. And they, they don't know. Some of them, they don't know how to speak Chinese. So they don't know their family roots, you know, going back. And there's people from India. And there's people from all over the place, you know, Russians, 
you know, all, yeah. all over the world. So not everybody in the U.S. that are settlers are white. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, European-based. So, like, what do we do as other people that got disconnected from their communities back in their homelands? I think they should stay. But as long as they acknowledge, you know, indigenous sovereignty, you know, and indigenous laws, you know, and, and you know, and I think we could have this life, you know, solidarity, you know, against capitalism, you know. And I think that's that's the thing, you know, like people don't they 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 see this thing where native people are on top, you know, oppressing everybody else, you know. And it it kind of sounds like the same is going on there, you know, in Palestine where they think Palestinians are going to oppress everybody else. I think, you know. And this is like level of distrust. Like I've been doing all this fucked up shit for all these years, but now like, I don't know if I can trust native people, the indigenous people to not be as fucked up as I was. No, maybe you should trust us. We're not, <laughs> we're not going to be fucked up. It's, you know, it's totally affecting. It's like, it's like that major discomfort that comes with knowing that you participated in genocide and colonization. And like that, if you, if we were to, you know, return land back to its rightful owners all these white people would have to take accountability and that includes like you were saying like like my family uh on my white side of my family my dad's side um fled persecution in poland and ukraine they came to the united states and they were forced to live in a ghetto does that mean that they have you know a rightful ownership to that land no do they have a place they could ever go back to no so it's like, yeah, we obviously have to figure out a way to make it work. And really, like, ethnic cleansing is the language of the colonizer. Like, I've never, I never hear indigenous people anywhere in Palestine, in Egypt, in the United States talking about ethnically cleansing white people, like, other than maybe, like, when we're joking around. Um, <laughs> but it's like most people want the same thing, and that's just sovereignty and freedom. And I don't know. I, I, I look at, like, the Zapatistas in Chiapas and like the model they've created where it's like this neo-Zapatista anarcho-syndicalist sort of libertarian socialist decentralized government with, you know, indigenous people, um, you know, creating and leading these coalitions, but it's completely decentralized. They don't have like mayors or presidents or governors. It's like a coalition of indigenous people and then non-indigenous people who live on the land are included in the discourse, but they're not the guides. They're not the ones who are, you know, creating these communities like the caracols that they have. Um, and when I, I don't know, when I look, when I personally think of decolonization, I, I think of it like that, like a neo-Zapatista indigenous anarchist global revolution. Um, I don't see that happening in the next few years. So like in Palestine, the clear, the just the, the basic first steps we can take are just like grant equal rights to Palestinians get rid of the 65 now 66 exclusionary laws that are written get rid of the bullshit constitution Dis disband knesset free all political prisoners allow the right of return for all palestinian people and hold a new election for a knesset or whatever a parliament with everyone with all the you know the refugees who choose to return with all the palestinians living there and with all the um, Israeli people living there. And when I've like said that people are like, you're fucking crazy. They would kill us. They'd vote Hamas in. And I'm like, well, first of all, they couldn't vote Hamas in anyway, because there's seven, 8 million Israeli people who would get a vote. So like they, 
you would obviously have a voice in this. One person gets one vote. Um, and they'll they say, like, oh, they'd put us in a prison. They'd put us in a concentration camp like Gaza. And I'm like, no, that's what you do to them. Um, so I guess, yeah, until we can have, like, an actual neo-Zapatista indigenous anarchist global revolution, uh, the f easy first steps are just, like, grant everyone equal rights. Um, just super basic things that seem like they should have been done a long time ago. But instead, they're writing new laws to make life more difficult. Like, essentially, like, there's levels of violence that Israel perpetrates. And it can be extreme violence, like we've seen in the past three days, where they killed a 12-year-old boy who was driving home from the store with his family, shot him in his chest, and murdered him in cold blood when he was in his car, and then said it was a mistake. And then days later at his funeral, they killed another Palestinian child who was 11 years old. That's fucking wild. So you have, it's disgusting. It's like, yeah. The fact that like we're talking about Ben and Jerry's still, and we're not talking about the multiple children that were murdered this week, like really shows me where the global discourse is at and like what people think is important. And Palestinian lives are still not important to the world. And that's sickening to me. But what I was going to say is you have violence on those extreme levels like that, but then you have the lesser violence, the the small things like checkpoints, where it's like making their lives unlivable. Make it so, oh, you have to get up five hours early to travel one mile to go to work, and you might not even get through that day. Depriving, you know, there's one aquifer in Gaza, and there's one aquifer in the West Bank, and then there's the Sea of Galilee. Palestinians have no access to any of that. They don't have access to either aquifer. They're both controlled by the occupational government. They don't have access to the Sea of Galilee. So any water they get is either through the grace of the Israeli government or you see these black tanks on the tops of homes where they collect rainwater, but it's in the desert, so it's not a very effective way. So like depriving an entire population of water and the proper nutrition they'll get so the kids grow up that, you know, their intention is these kids will grow up malnourished and weak and not be able to be the next generation of fighters. Um, so you see it in like levels like that. You see it in the discourse. You see it just like when I was on the beach a few weeks ago and my mom's like super chatty. She just loves chatting with everyone. And there was like uh, some Palestinian folks sitting next to us and they were hanging out and my mom and them were speaking Arabic and like, they ended up, they were from Shfaram, which is now like an Arab village in occupied Palestine. But that was originally the refugee camp that my mom was born in. And they had no idea that it was a refugee camp for um, Jewish Arab people. They didn't know any of that history. They just thought it was a village that they were born in. Um, but that's beside the point. Essentially, while we were sitting there, the police came up and gave these people a ticket uh, for having a glass bottle on the beach, which like, sure, it's a law. Were there Jewish people drinking out of glass bottles around us? Fuck yeah, there were. Did they target these Palestinian people because they were speaking Arabic? Absolutely. And so it's like, you know, the same shit we see in the U.S. They just make people's lives so unlivable that they hope they'll just leave. They're like, whatever means we can get rid of these people, whether it's through actual genocide and carpet bombing Gaza, whether it's through depriving them of basic nutrition and, like, the ability to support their families so they'll just leave or whether it's you know ethnically cleansing a village through violence uh and through destruction and bulldozers like we're seeing right now in uh silwan 
where yeah. they're clearing in uh, and a Palestinian village that's been there forever to make room for a biblical zoo or no, sorry, a biblical theme park. And it just kind of really is like a perfect stark example of that one, like colonial violence and two, like how hard they are pushing this bullshit narrative of like a biblical right to the land to the point that like in, in Jerusalem, they've like excavated the city of David, which was like the, you know, original city where the Jewish people built their, uh, the city of David and the temple and all that. And now it's like this place where you go at night and you're like among all the exca like excavated ruins and they'll put on concerts and like tell the story of the city of David. And it's like, even in your entertainment, they're like just feeding you colonial propaganda. Well, that's like, just like the U S you know, they don't want, uh, what was that? What's that shit called? Uh, critical race theory. They don't want that, which is like a basic history <laughs> Yeah, in our opinions about like, ask a native person what he feels about colonization. Oh no, that's critical race theory. Ask a black person what happened about slavery. Oh no, that's kind of have that as critical race theory. And this is like, yo, what the fuck? Like that shit affected us. You know, you want to, you know, and they only, you know, America's so great. We got to be proud of what? Like, but honestly, you know, what the fuck is there be to be proud about? When I was in the military and I was, you know, uh, I got deployed to Afghanistan and, you know, people from other countries are like, oh, you know, you know, um, are you American? Obviously, you have the uniform on, right? I'm like, no, I'm not American. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, well, you have the uniform on. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not American, though. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> Comanche. Like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm something else. I'm like, don't don't get me twisted. I'm here because I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I was homeless. Like, I don't want to be here. You know, this is not where I want to be right now. But, you know, I, I tell people that shit all the time. You know, it, it's wild because, like, okay, so I have a question and I know I have to paint it a certain way because I, it's, I, don't, I don't know how to ask this question. So it's like, you know, you said, you know, in order for, you know, take steps and, you know, you know, for Palestinians to live better or going to, you know, have to get rid of these laws. But, you know, realistically, you know, people in power, states in power, the bourgeoisie, you know, will never give up power, right? Never. And it's just like me hoping that one day, you know, the U.S. government will be like, okay, Native people can have all this stuff back just because Deb Holland is, you know, in, in, in the government. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not going to happen. You know, it's just, to me, it's false, you know, false hope. You know, I know the U.S. government is always going to hold as tight as it can to to its power and you know and you just you can see with all the interventions and all the proxy wars you know and all the coups coup they, they they've done you know overseas abroad you know and you know because they, they don't want to give up the power anywhere you know what i'm saying you know so do we have you know israeli you know the israeli state doing the same thing you know where they bomb you know and they'll be bombing like iranian factories or whatever the nuclear sites or they'll be like you know sending viruses or whatever like it's like why why are you doing this like you're making it harder to work with you you know and what do you feel like could change that or you know is is are the, is the zionist regime regime always going to be or is, is the straight state always going to be zionist or yeah, obviously, so. obviously. So like, <laughs> Go ahead. I don't, I don't think that I don't think Israel will ever give up anything on their own. Like they're never going to be like, oh, no, we we 
killed all these children. Like, we feel so bad about it. We should probably give these people rights. They're like, these children were housed in schools that were filled with bombs. And if we didn't blow these schools up with filled with children, then they would have used those bombs to kill our children or just whatever bullshit um, argument they can put forward. And so I really don't believe that the U.S. or Israel will ever do anything to support Palestinian liberation. And I think that they will really, like, violently do anything they can to hold on to it and to hold on to that power and that hegemony and that occupation. And that it can only come, one, from inward, like, from the Palestinian people, and two, from outside. And that's why I'm, like, a huge supporter of BDS and um, the Boycott, Divest, and Sanctions movement, which is... For me, it seems like the 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 least radical option. It's like we're not sure. We could say like we need a violent uprising to take back this land, but that's not going to happen. So it's like BDS is just the idea that like you know we can put pressure from the outside and make it so economically. All right, we had a technical issue, but we're back. Can you keep? Can you continue, Brock? Thank you. Yeah, but um, I was saying that the. The BDS movement is essentially like the the only violent option to combat occupation, and like people people love to call it anti-Semitic and say it's against Jewish people and all these things. Really, it's like the 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 most supportive um, and the least like the least violent option possible. And Israel's never going to change anything on their own. America's never going to pressure Israel into changing anything. Which that would be another way is by like pressuring the United States, who completely funds and supplies the U.S. or the Israeli military, um, to stop funding them. In which case, they would have to make some changes. But BDS is really like it's a uh, yeah, it's just an incredibly important movement um, because we've seen the changes it's actually been able to make, and we've seen like. Just just with Ben and Jerry's, which is like the most bullshit thing ever, like they whatever they stop selling it in just the occupied territories, which like all of Israel is occupied. Yeah. Like, can you talk about what that means? They, they stop selling in the occupied territories. So. After the Oslo Accords, um, they had laid the ground to create a Palestinian state. And that Palestinian state was going to consist of Gaza and the West Bank. Uh, since the Oslo Accords, Israeli settlers have done everything they can to steal as much of that land as possible with the support of the Israeli government and funding of the Israeli government. But um, in those accords, they specified like essentially three different types, three different zones of autonomy. Like Jericho is like zone A. They have full autonomy, but they still can't have like an army um, or anything that and then gaza's zone c which is like minimal autonomy and so like those places east jerusalem the west bank and gaza are what we call like the occupied territories and people call the rest 48 uh i just call it all occupied because for me there's really no difference between um a settlement in outside of ramallah like illegal and palestinian land and nahariya the town that um my mom lives which was also built on an arab village like it's all really the same stolen land uh so when ben and jerry's decided to stop selling in the occupied territories that's just like stop they stopped selling to you know people in occupied in the 
West Bank and Gaza, um, but not anywhere else in Israel. So like it was the most hollow, minimal thing they could do is like recognizing what the entire rest of the world has known for years, that this is like an illegal occupation. If they wanted to show real solidarity, they could have just boycotted selling their ice cream in all of occupied Palestine. Um, and they could have not put out that statement the next day, like, and Jerry are Jewish owners and we support the right to a Jewish state and just like backtracking on anything they've done. But we still see with minimal, just absolutely hollow bullshit effort to stand in solidarity with Palestinian people, how shook the Israeli government was. They literally called Ben and Jerry's terrorists. They're like, this is a new form of terrorism. And it's just so funny to that they're acting like literal toddlers being like, give me my ice cream. You're being a terrorist. Well, they're being actual terrorists and doing everything they can to terrorize the population for the terrorist army of soldiers. I find that weird because like they call not selling ice cream, you know, an occupied Palestine terrorism. But what the fuck is going on with like the Cuban embargo? Yeah, what? That, what the fuck? Is that not terrorism or all the, you know, sanctions and, you know, all that stuff on North Korea or China or any other country that, you know, the U.S. or the West disagrees or Iran, you know, is that not terrorism? Or, you know, what about all the sanctions, you know, in Iraq before the occup occupation? Oh, my. I mean, we, we like went into Iraq, destroyed everything. And then when a few people stood up to fight back, like, hey, you're on our land and destroying everything, we called them terrorists and sent in more troops to fight them. You know, like, and we, it's like, okay, like, come on, right? That's the big argument. People, when you're talking about Palestine, you're talking about Palestinian liberation, everyone's like, but Hamas, but Hamas. And... It's like they see it as this like Trump card, like you can't possibly defend Hamas or you're defending terrorism. And it's like, okay, let's talk about Hamas. Like, where did they come from? Why do they exist? Why are they in power? And why do we call them terrorists? It's like they are, one, a political party that operates outside of the neocolonial framework as an Islamic party. So automatically they're labeled as terrorists because they operate outside of that colonial framework. Two, like when did Hamas rise to power? really like prominent during the second intifada um when israel was shit scared of leftist palestinians who were calling for you know the right of return and sovereignty on the land and a one-state solution and so at that same time you had hamas who like in their original charter jewish people loved bringing this up it said like throw all the jews in the sea so israel actually funded Hamas during the second intifada uh, to help stir like infighting and chaos between uh, the different Palestinian liberation organizations. And like Netanyahu, the last prime minister, was one of the people who was like part of that secret team funding Hamas. And for, for Israel, Hamas is like this perfect enemy because they are, you know, in their original charter, they were now they now very much a political party who are not calling um for the absolute genocide of jewish people but in their original charter it said that and so it was perfect israel because they had this perfect enemy who was calling for their destruction and so anything they did was defending themselves 
And that's how they've been able to essentially reframe, a, you know, a bunch of like teenagers and youth and young people throwing stones at soldiers and tanks and like this clear David and Goliath battle and flip it to make Israel look like David and Palestinians like Goliath who are trying to kill them all. Um, and it's just, it's, it's classic colonizer shit, like taking the struggle of the colonized and trying to claim it as your own. Yeah. Can we take, can we pause and maybe go back on Skype? This, this noise is killing me. Yep. <laughs> Thank no you. Okay. We're back without the crazy noise. <laughs> with the static it's the IDF <laughs> they're they it's Mossad it's Shinbat they're all the up on fuck it. it's crazy no it's but like have you have you ever listened to the Palestine pod it's this really great podcast um about Palestine but I feel like every episode they like it all just like shuts down and like zoom stops working for them and I like truly think it is Zionist interference. Um. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't doubt it, you know. And it's it's wild, you know. But, um, yeah, it's. Uh, let me see what questions I have here. <laughs> have you ever? Um, so yeah, so why you know? I think one question is like when people talk about solutions, and what are your what are your thoughts and criticisms? for the Tuesday solutions. And obviously you talked about what solution would be earlier, but when people bring up Tuesday solutions and it's just like, uh, what do you think about that? I mean, a two-state solution, then you just created a, a new colonial state. It doesn't solve any of the problems. You're still occupying stolen indigenous land. Um, it still buys into the narrative of like Jews being one, monolithic people um and it like forgets the entire history like there were jews who were ethnically cleansed from palestine palestinian jews who were ethnically cleansed from palestinian villages in 1948 and were forced to go to jordan and die and live their lives as refugees in jordan and die in jordan um like i i, I personally know someone whose grandmother was a jewish palestinian woman who was married to a Muslim Palestinian man, and they were ethnically cleansed from their village. Or like Edward Said, who grew up in West Jerusalem, um, which was ethnically cleansed in 1948. He talks about his Jewish neighbors having their homes stolen by the Zionists because they all fled because they were like, we're Arab and we're scared. We don't know what's going on. And then when they came back, the white people were living in their houses. Um, so like the two-state solution is just it's based in the same lie that the current occupational state is. And it's like, it's clear by the 73 years of occupation that they would not be a good faith actor in that two state solution. And they would probably just try and bomb and occupy the new Palestinian state anyway. Um, it's like, okay, I'm involved in this group called the Swana ancestral hub. And it's like a group. It was started by different Swana women. A lot of them are like herbalists and um, just really into like reclaiming uh, their, you know, their ties to the land and their culture. And um, I, I was asked to be a part of something called like reclaiming kinship um, where we're meeting and it's, you know, all, ty all types of Swana people and some of us are Jewish and it's about like reclaiming, they want to reclaim Jewish Arab people as their kin. Um, and it's about like 
remembering those historical ties and remembering the kinship that we have had for thousands of years. But one of the members of the Swana Hub um, was recently told me, like, uh, posted and told the story of her uncle, who I had read about when I was younger, and his name was uh, Naim Khader, and he was a Christian Palestinian who advocated for a one-state solution. He wanted equal rights for everyone, no ethnic cleansing for anyone, no one's forced to leave. All Palestinian refugees have the right to return. And he was a PLO representative for the European Parliament. He was calling for, like, a really a peaceful, reasonable solution, and the Israeli military assassinated him in the streets of Belgium in 1981. And at the time they assassinated him, that was the 12th PLO member to be assassinated in Europe. So historically, they've literally tried to destroy and kill anyone who's calling for any sort of reasonable solution. And uh, I'm pretty sure that movie Munich, that fucked up Steven Spielberg movie, is about like Israel assassinating all those Palestinian people in Europe um, but it like glorifies the shit out of it and makes it seem like this problem is as old as time and we're just people who are, you know, trying to fight for our land and our, and it gives it this frame of like, yeah, this ancient biblical battle and completely ignores the fact that like they were being fucking terrorists going to Europe and assassinating random people in the streets and blowing up their cars. So I remember that movie like, and it, they, 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 they painted it as like the, Israeli spies like had PTSD after I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all about like, oh man, I struggled so hard, like murdering all those people and their families. Like, I'm gonna have nightmares. Like, oh really? Fucking bummer. Those people aren't around anymore. So like bit more of a bummer for them. It's just like Israel does everything they can to like gaslight you. Like there's a Jewish colonial terrorist ethnostate calling Hamas terrorists. It's just like they do anything they can to gaslight us. Yeah. So I always think about like like the backlash I want to have after the you know posting the podcast because I posted that I don't know if you heard the Tibet uh, episode and. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, like, you know, Carl's pretty good. He brought really good, you know, facts, historical facts on the table. And then we had, like, pro-Western Tibetans on my Twitter. And I was just, I was, I laughed, right? Because I was like, I'm not going to, they're like, let me come on your podcast and, and talk about blah, 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 you know, this pro-Western CIA talking points. I was like, first off, I'm not having CIA talking points on my podcast. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have enough of that. I'm sorry, you know. Second, um, you know, so you know, before you know, I know people are gonna be like, "Oh, this this podcast is anti-Semitic." Why is criticizing Zionism and the you know seller state of Israel? Why is it not anti-Semitic? Well, so um, first of all, like Judaism, our like our religion is a religion of freedom from oppression of fighting oppression that's literally every holiday we have is like there was this fucked up king and he tried to kill all the jews and then we fought back and we won and they didn't kill us and like freeing ourselves from the yoke of oppression time and time again as well as that judaism is a religion where like we debate and question everything like we have our our book the torah that we read 
And then we have the Talmud, which is just like all these sages and scholars and people over thousands of hundreds of years um, debating the Torah and like debating its laws and debating its rules. And that's just like such an integral part of Judaism that I grew up with. I grew up with this this uh, feeling of like I'm a Jewish person and I have to question everything. And so when I started questioning Israel when I was a kid and I would be there, like I've I've been in Palestine. I was there during the, the second Lebanon war. Like I've been there when I'm when they're Israel's being bombed and I've had to hide in a bomb shelter and like I've experienced that. And yes, it's traumatic, but it's it's very much the result of colonialism. And so like Israel from the onset, from the 1880s, they were pushing this narrative of one Jewish people, of Israel is Judaism, Israel is Jewish people, even though you had Iraqi rabbis, Moroccan rabbis, uh, Ukrainian rabbis speaking out against Zionism, saying it was going against Judaism. But by the time 1948 rolled around, those voices had been silenced and it had become the dominant paradigm. And everything from the, the Magen David, the Jewish star on the flag, to calling the country Israel, you know, re, like evoking our, our biblical homeland, like all of these things were intentional propaganda to conflate Israel with Judaism, Judaism with Israel, and make them an inseparable thing. So that any time you criticize Israel and its government, you're criticizing Jewish people. And that's just not the case because Israel is anti-Semitic in his existence. Like I was just saying, like, not only did they treat my family like animals and like my grandfather was a professor. He spoke seven languages. He was the head of the language department at the University of Alexandria. Like today in Alexandria, you can find his translations from Aramaic into Arabic. Uh, they're still like the the most used translations from the time that he was there. He lived a good life. Um, and when he was ethnically cleansed from Egypt and ended up in a in Palestine, like I said, he was sprayed with DDT. He was forced to do labor. He had to plant eucalyptus trees and build homes for white settlers. And it was clear from the onset that this wasn't a state for Jewish people. It was a state for Europeans and for European Jews. So that is like they ethnically cleansed Jewish people. Like just these, these facts make it impossible to believe that like Israel is a home for all Jewish people. And they also make it so clear that like criticizing Israel isn't anti-Semitic. It's actually like the most Jewish thing you can do, the way we can honor our ancestors. And I mean, all of my ancestors, I don't just mean my Egyptian ancestors on my mother's side. I mean, my Ashkenazi, like European Jewish ancestors too, like how we can honor them is by fighting for Palestinian liberation. Yeah. So there's, there's so many aspects to this, even like, you know, international, um, like you said earlier, like uh, like the U.S., I think the U.S. gives uh, Israel $3 billion a year, you know. Uh, oh, oh, no. Is it more? Uh, it's like $380 billion. Holy shit. <laughs> what the fuck? That's wild. Yeah. Dude, we, we give, yeah, we give Egypt $8 billion a year. Like, Israel is getting like, Hundreds of billions. I'm gonna look up exactly how much. That's now, wild because they can use the same money on like reservations. You know, like Flint still has like really fucked up water. You know, like all these things we can fix our you know our infrastructure. Yet we are giving it to like you know. Oh no, 
you're right. I was wrong. It's only three billion. Oh, dude, I was but freaking. I, <laughs> I feel like that. I feel like that's too small. Well, they also like America makes all of Israel's guns and then sells them to Israel for two dollars a gun. And like, there's other ways that they give them direct aid without having to put it in the budget. That's fucking crazy because it's just settlers helping settlers. You know, it's like it doesn't stop. You know, and and it's and it's how you know how do we stop colonization? And I think colonization is is very global things, all interconnected. You know, and oh, okay, wait, I was I was wrong again. A hundred in the United States has given Israel a total of a hundred. Forty-six billion in bilateral assistance and missile defense funding through twenty twenty. That's still a lot of money, though. One hundred forty-six billion—that's a fuckload. Yeah, that's like that's still. And, yeah, go ahead. Oh, just people love to be like, Israel's a puppet of America. America, America's a puppet of Israel, and uh, like Red Menace, they were talking about it when they were talking about the Israel settler colonialist episode. Um, and it's like, no, neither is a puppet of either. They're both like products of the same settler colonialist system and they both are functioning in the same way. Like it's not that they're one's controlling the other. It's that they both have the same goal and they're both working towards the same thing. And like, there's, there's a reason that, you know, the U S has military bases in Turkey and, you know, like name a country, we have a military base there, but then you look at Israel, there's no military bases for the U S and there's no military bases in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, maybe now in Egypt, but because Israel was one giant military base for the U S because they had the same goal. Yeah. And that's a good podcast to people for people to check out. It's called the red menace. Uh, I listen to them on Spotify and they do have a settler colonial and colonization um, episode and, you know, talking about Israel. Uh, so I, I really highly suggest, you know, People check out that podcast and even just their other content about communism, socialism is really good. I've been like, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I've been really like, (laughs) what's what's that word? Um, Binging on their stuff. So, yeah. But yeah, so, you know, that's that's really hard. All this is really hard to talk about because like, you know, as, as, as an indigenous person in the U.S., like I try to be optimistic, like, yeah, we'll get a decolonization. But then, like, if I think about all the obstacles we have to go through and even teaching, like, non-natives, like, white people, like, you know, our issues, our point of views. And there's a lot of pushback, especially with Republicans and hardcore. They're so proud of being American. You know, and I'm pretty sure from what it sounds like, it's the same thing in Israel. Like, you know, trying to tell, you know, um, Israelis, like, hey, you know, Palestinians don't want to push you into the ocean whatever. You know, but then like there's pushback and they support, obviously, they, you know, they support the, the seller states. And it's hard because like we as native people, like are, are we have to like obviously push against colonization at the same time, like do it in this like friendly, like non-hostile way, you know, or else we're going to be called hostiles. Right. Or we're going to be called violent or, you know, whatever they want to call us, terrorists or whatever, extremists, radicals, whatever. But it's, it's crazy because we can't say, hey, just give us our land back. Like the seller state needs to be eradicated. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, and, and it's hard because, like, if we don't do it in this friendly, smiley way, sellers will be like, look, see, they're not smiling while they're saying that. 
you know, and they have, yeah. you know, you know it, that's hard. It's hard. And it's, it, obviously the Palestinians are going to the same stuff. So I hope Palestinians can hear that, you know, as, as Native people, we have solidarity as, you know, as Indigenous people with their liberation. And I think every Indigenous person, especially every radical Indigenous person, always talks about Palestinian issues and how their liberation is essential to, you know, to the global decolonization. And I'm actually in a uh, Palestinian study group right now with an Indigenous uh, uh, leftist organization. And, you know, I'm just listening to whether they have like a study group, you know, and it's really good information. I think, you know, we have to know global indigenous issues for us to have solidarity because it's not just, you know, colonization happens everywhere, you know, all over the world. It was all connected. I mean, there's a certain point of history where, you know, I I call it the golden age of colonization, you know, when the Britain and the French, all the European powers colonized the world. But now we have, we're in an age of like pushing back, and then what does this look like after, you know, after we push back and decolonize, you know, um, globally, one, but will the European powers afterwards, will they continue to try to be colonizers afterwards? And it's, that's the, the question we have to ask ourselves. And it's like, what, how do we protect ourselves? And But just getting there is, is the fucking hard part because these people like Europeans are like, just like they're so fucking proud of it. And it's just like, you know, sometimes you, you know, like <laughs> you can't oh, no, to- when, when i'm in england i'll like just be at a bar and get in an argument like be like so you fucking calling that and they'll just be like well we gave india the trains and we did this and we civilized them and i'm like wow y'all are still proud of your genocide like um it's just truly fucking sickening and yeah like if you look at like i want to say i read this in nick estes book our history is the future but it might have been somewhere else but um talking about like Palestinian Liberation Organization delegates at Pine Ridge in the 70s and, you know, taking part in ceremony and like coming there as kin um, and being recognized as kin. And so like when I read that, it was it was powerful because I also remember when Standing Rock was happening, there were Palestinian people there in solidarity with the Standing Rock movement. Um, And so I really do feel like that that connection has been around forever, like um, that indigenous solidarity globally, and especially with uh, like, yeah, American indigenous people and Palestinians. And just what you were saying about about being in the army and being like, I'm not American and people being like, fuck you, um, reminds me a lot of just so many Palestinian people I know can't say that they're Palestinian. They can't say those words because that is a political statement. Like, I have Palestinian friends who will literally say they're Egyptian or, you know, where whatever country they grew up in just to avoid having to say they're Palestinian and starting an argument. Because Palestinian people are some of the only people in the world who people are truly saying, you don't exist. You're not real. And That's some of the crazy. arguments are like, they're just Jordanian and there's already a Palestinian state. It's called Jordan. And it's like, well, where were these people before? Were they in Jordan or Palestine? And they're like, oh, well, Jordan was occupying Palestine, so they were in Jordan. And I'm like, but they were occupying Palestine, so they were Palestinian. It's just, you know, you have to look like, you have to go one layer one layer deep to, like, totally destroy these bullshit arguments. But it's like my friend, I have a close friend um, who lives in Haifa in, in 48, and he's a paramedic, and, like, 
he is Palestinian as fuck. He's proud. He loves his people. He loves his culture. But at work, he can't say he's Palestinian. He has to say he's fucking Israeli. Because if you were to say he's Palestinian, they're, they, they see that as a threat to the existence of Israelis. And they're like, don't you have an Israeli passport? Don't you live here? Aren't, don't you live a good life? And they'll just tear him apart. And like people have lost jobs over hanging a Palestinian flag. Like, I don't know how much money the Jerusalem municipal government spends on just driving around East Jerusalem, taking down Palestinian flags every week. Um, they're like, that's super they're just, petty. <laughs> the fuck? It's so petty, and their existence is like so. It's just, it's like if you have to do all of this to exist, then maybe you shouldn't be here. And they'll be like, blah, 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 blah. Israel is the safest place in the world for Jewish people. I'm like, really? Is it? Because I live in Portland and I don't have a bomb shelter in my house like my mom does. I didn't do, um, I didn't do bomb drills in middle school or in elementary school. When I was three years old, I wasn't doing bomb siren drills. I don't see when I get on the bus, there isn't child soldiers everywhere because everyone in Israel is conscripted to the army at the age of 18. Um, like Israel's the least fucking safe place ever for Jewish people. Like when I get on a train and I'm surrounded by like 25 fucking 18 year old IDF soldiers with massive assault rifles and they're just like making TikTok videos, I do not feel safe. Um, it's yeah. If anything, they've like created the most dangerous possible environment for Jewish people. That's wild, you know, like, you know, just talking about, like, thinking about all the stuff you're talking about. I, I remember, like, just the settler colonial project of, you know, like, the, the British. I work with British in Afghanistan. So when I went there, I my chain of command was not American. It was first, the first half was British, and the second half was Spaniard, <laughs> which is really fucked up, you know? <laughs> which, you know, both, you know, they both have a history. Like, Y'all are still at it? Yeah, and, and it's and it's the British people like they're, you know, there's one thing I worked in like they put me in this office and I worked in intelligence, right? I had to overlook intelligence, you know, that came in and out of the country. And there's one thing they told us: they were like, "We need to be careful for these three people that want to steal your intelligence, our intelligence as a you know, as a U.S. intelligence." I was like, "Who who are they?" You know, they were like, first is Israel." <laughs> so they were like, do, do not let any Israelis in this office to the British, <laughs> which is like, well, fuck, they're in this office, you know? So it was just like, I was like, this is fucked. And then three French, I was like, there's one French guy here. <laughs> so what the fuck? So it was, it was wild. It was like, and then, yeah, one of the, the British dude tried to like get on our, our secret computer. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? And it's like, they, they don't, they don't stop. You know, they don't stop. I mean, like, I, I almost had to drop kick this fool because I was like, what the fuck? Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you, on my, why are you on the U.S., you know, secret computer? Like, he was like, oh, I just wanted to transfer. I was like, you don't touch shit. Like, this is like the last warning. But this, these people, like, I, there was like, um, there was um, this one dude in the British military. You know, British military had a bunch of people, people from Fiji, Nepal, from India, yeah. you know, and... Well, you know, I was like, I found that very fascinating because I was like, what the fuck? Like, some people were straight from, like, Nepal. Like, they barely spoke English, right? And I was yeah. just like, what? That's, could it do that? I didn't know you can do that. But um, 
but um, there was one dude that he was, his parents were from India. Obviously, he looked from India, right? He looked and he didn't, you know, obviously. And I asked him, like, where are you from, right? And he was like, I'm British. I was like, come on now, me and you, people of color, like, where are you from, right? And he was like, I'm British. I was like, no, <laughs> where are your parents from? He was like, oh, yeah. they're from India. I was like, oh, you're Indian. And he was like, no, I'm British. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, but they don't see you, you that way. But when he left the office, like the white, the white British were like, no, he's Indian. Like British are for of white, Br- yeah, British are for white Britons. I was like, fuck, that's what I wanted to hear. I want to hear you motherfuckers say that shit, right? Yeah. And I did, and they fucking exposed themselves. I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for. Like you, your racist bullshit. And they, 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 they were, they said a lot of racist shit towards everybody. And I was like, fuck, you guys don't stop. They don't give a fuck about their history colonization they're fucking proud of it you know what i'm saying they're Seriously, fucking they really are and it's like i've had a very similar experience with like a like a british born indian friend of a friend who i was arguing with a bunch of like my buddy who's from birmingham i was arguing with a bunch of his college friends about colonization just like they were all defending it and i was like okay man like you're my brown bro like it was fucked up what they did, right? And he was like, no, I've honestly had an amazing life here and I would have never had the opportunities uh, that I was given if I, my family had stayed in India and England gave me this huge opportunity. And I was like, holy shit. You need, I, I literally wrote down France Fanon, Black Skin, White Masks. And I was like, please read this book, my dog. And it's one of those things like we see with uh, like the Jewish Arab population in Palestine where they will try so hard to emulate the oppressor and do anything they can and at the end of the day they're still a dirty arab exactly same thing with americans you know if a mexican comes here and you know says you know i'm not mexican i'm mexican-american or i'll be like i'm chicano it was just even worse and you know you know i talk about that stuff a lot i'm like oh well you know you're never going to be white enough for these people right you're never going to be you know and and it's crazy because, you know, that's why the you know, seller state is weird because they want to absorb you into this this project. But at the same time, they, they exclude you. Right. And it's still this hierarchy. Hard. Yeah. And it's really disgusting. You know, it's hard. It's hard. You know, and I had to both smile on my face. And I, I really feel like I, I developed anxiety <laughs> around <laughs> white people <laughs> because like. Oh, fuck. I'm from Portland. I have like. My life is white people anxiety. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, man, it's wild because like I, I, I put a smile on my face, you know, and and then eventually like a lot of them, like over since I've been eighteen, a lot of them, you know, my fr- especially like all my white friends from from like grade school, from fourth grade, all of them are gone. They all deleted me. The whole family deleted me from social medias, you know. And these people that I grew up with, right? They're like, yeah. oh, you're commie, you're a fucking traitor. I'm like, to who? Like to you, yeah. like to your project, to your, to your fucking idea of like your nationalisms. Like, who gives a fuck about you? You grew up with me, you know me, but then I'm still lower than them because I'm not adhering to their fucking colonial bullshit. You know, it's hard. Totally. You know, it's hard, and I, I think, um, you know, I don't know, but I don't. Know, it was kind of a rant, but you know, I really feel like this is, you know, just a perspective. Yeah. It reminds me when you're talking about Chicano people, like the, the Raza Cosmica, you know, and like that racist ass concept that like 
aim to deny indigeneity and like deny people of their heritage and just say like we're one race one latino race raza cosmica you know and we see the same thing in palestine where it's like we're one jewish people we're all the same we're all have from the same ancestors and it's like yo my ethiopian homie does not share dna with like my ukrainian homie and they're both jewish and they both have like unique ways that they practice their judaism and unique ways that they pray and specific languages that they speak that aren't hebrew um, but are unique to the judaism of their region and they're both equally jewish but they're not the same you know it's like it just denies the entire history and the unique uh, cultures and traditions that we had on our own lands and then tries to create this new narrative that's, you know, like 70 years old and act like that was how our entire history went, which is just total bullshit. That, you know, growing up, that's the one thing that I didn't understand. So, you know, growing up, you know, you, you know about blood quantum and all that stuff. So obviously blood quantum is like subtractive and I was always like, you know, obviously natives are going to, you know, eventually disappear mathematically, you know, not culturally. Yeah. But but then, you know, I was thinking about when I, whenever I heard like about this, the, you know, the Palestinian Jewish situation, you know, and, and I was always in my head, even as a kid, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Why do we have to adhere to blood quantum when some of these Jewish people that came from Europe into Israel, they were there for like... <laughs> hundreds of years maybe a thousand right i don't know right that i was like how the fuck could they still call themselves you know jewish i'm not saying they're not you know like yeah you know like intermixing with european like blood without blood quantum and then come here and say you know create a settler state to oppress other people like what the fuck why the fuck do we have to adhere to blood quantum you know, like why? Well, that's fucked up. Why? You know, if they can and, be Jewish after a thousand years of mixing with somebody else, why can't we be Native people? You know, we're obviously being colonized, like by you know, and we're marrying, you know, people from all different colors. I've seen I've seen mixes of Asian and Native, you know, and Black and Native, and you know, all these types of mixes. Like, you know, why the fuck do we have to adhere to blood quantum? And that kind of that's the conversation as a as a child, I had to like, you know think about you know absolutely and yeah like with it's funny because the the law that israel adopted for jewish people they literally adopted the blood quantum of the nazis they took the law that the nazi had that if you were one had one jewish grandparent you would be gassed and they made that apply for citizenship and we're like if you have one jewish grandparent you get us you get citizenship and they literally took nazi blood quantum and made it their blood quantum for a state. And I get in arguments with people a lot. Like, I don't know, me and my mom will just be like sitting on the beach and we'll see some dude with his like, you know, pink belly frying in the fucking sun. And we're like, that dude looks indigenous to here. And we laugh. <laughs> and um, it's like the claim, like, like my brother will make this claim too. And it's funny because my brother is like such a proud Egyptian, uh, like a Jewish Egyptian. Like on Friday, he wears my grandpa's galabia. He does all of his prayers in the Egyptian style, but he will still argue that uh, all Jewish people come from the same 12 tribes, that the tribes were exiled after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The Romans, you know, expelled us to Babylon and sent us to Europe 
and that those people, because Judaism has passed through the maternal line, um, that by default, every single person who's Jewish can be a, is a direct um, descendant of those 12 tribes. And I'm literally like, I hope my brother doesn't listen to this podcast, but uh, I was like <laughs> sitting at the table with, uh, with him and we were having this discussion like two weeks ago. And I was like, what about her? And I pointed to his wife who converted to Judaism. She's Ecuadorian. Um, Ecuadorian from LA, Christian, whatever, and converted. And she's just as Jewish as anyone else, you know, um, in my opinion. And he was like, well, yes, of course, there have been, you know, converts and we've intermarried. And that's how uh, Ashkenazi became white by like intermarrying with Europeans, but they are Semitic peoples and they share this ancestral DNA and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay, 3000 years, you're admitting like you're literally your wife has no Jewish blood. And so your children, by your definition, would only be half Jewish and blah, blah, blah. And I'll bring up like, okay, so converts are Jewish, and they're included in our like bloodline now somehow, even though that doesn't make sense scientifically. But what about the like thousands and thousands of like, at one point in North Africa, Amazigh people like, uh, they're known in the West as Berber. Like, I think it was like 90% of Amazigh people were Jewish at one point. And then when the caliphate came, the, the first caliphate, and colonized North Africa and created the Bilad al-Sham and like the, you know, the Muslim caliphate, most of those tribes converted, but those people were Jewish, you know? And so I asked my brother, I'm like, what about them? These people who converted, are they still Jewish? And he's like, no, they're not, they're not part of our bloodline because they have given up their Judaism. And I was like, so it's not a race. It's a religion because you can convert to it and you can give it up. And he's like, no, it is a race. And then sent me like a dissertation of like, that was literally like 5,000 words with like sources about why all Jewish people are indigenous. And I haven't read it yet. Um, but it's just such a bullshit argument. It's like, all you have to do is look at who was living on the land when the first wave of colonization come came. Like, those are the indigenous people who were there. Like, sure, maybe there were like, yes, there were Jewish people living there, but there were Jewish people living when the colonizers came. So it's really just like, a ridiculous hollow argument and even if every single jewish person can trace their ancestry to the 12 tribes even if that were somehow true that still doesn't justify the colonization of palestine because they still were gone for 3000 years and came back as and uh it's like the most infuriating thing ever people will say jewish people are the only indigenous people to reclaim their ancestral lands and that's just like, it infuriates me on so many levels because it's just, it's taking, it's taking the narrative of land back and taking the narrative of, you know, indigenous sovereignty and applying it to colonization, which is like so fucking foul. That's, that's the thing that I've always, you know, I felt like when I spoke to, you know, people that were Zionists, that's the one thing that they were like, um, would say to me, like, this is land back, this is decolonization. I'm like, you're fucking oppressing people, right? Like, you're, like, literally putting people in fucking, like, you said, open-air prisons and, you know, shooting kids, you know? Like, can you like, imagine if, you, if Native people got our, our land back, you know, and then we were start shooting, like, non-Native kids? Well, fuck that, you know? like If you start rounding up white kids and fucking killing them and going into, like, Beaverton, Oregon and 
surrounding it with an indigenous military force and shooting any white, you know, Beavertonian, sorry, Beaverton's a suburb of Portland, um, who, you know, who speaks out against it. Like, no, that's not, that's I would not be what a, fucking back would, is about. It's about indigenous sovereignty, not yeah. becoming the colonizer. Yeah, I, and I would 100% speak out against that if that happened, right? I would be like, fuck this, what the fuck are we doing, you know? And, and that's like how... All of my Palestinian comrades, every single one of them will speak out against anti-Semitism when they hear it. And when somebody is like the Jews, they're like, no, don't say that. You need to change your thinking. It's not the Jews. It's the Israelis. It's the Zionists. And they will like make a point to tell their comrades, don't speak in that language. And I've seen that time and time again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, colonizers speak in the language of colonization. And that's all they know. All they know is how to speak in genocide and ethnic cleansing in open air prisons and killing children. And so they literally can't understand when indigenous people try and explain sovereignty and try and explain freedom to them. Because for them, an aspect of their freedom, they're so delusional that they believe that their freedom can't exist without the oppression of another people, which like by definition, that's not freedom, it's oppression. I totally agree. <laughs> I, I, it's wild, you know, it just this comparisons of, you know, colonizations of the Americas and, you know, of Palestine. I'm going to pause real quick. Okay, so I know this question is a little bit like light, lighter hearted, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But I do want to ask, because I saw a movie and I feel like, because, you know, media is very like unique and it's always wrong when you go like you know like native portrayal in movies is always like some weird bullshit like pan indian like it's always an indian on a horse shirtless right and like with yeah. long you know like and it's just like uh you know when comanches we wore shirts obviously and you know we wore you know and, and it's or like it was just some weird shit right and um and you know native people always like critique these movies you know when, when it comes to like shitty native portrayals so one movie the movie that i want to talk about a little bit is uh you know is an am sandler movie called <laughs> don't mess with the zohan right in this movie I, I always wondered i would you know like like it's, it's like it's trying to paint like you know J jewish people and like arab people have a lot of similarities but you know in the movie itself like when i saw it, it was just like they still painted like arab people as bad Right. And I was just like, God damn it. Like, do you, I, I know, like, I was like, okay, I see what you, you're trying to do some good, you know, you know, like, as like trying to like build solidarity. But then it was like that in the same time, it does not build solidarity. This, this like perception of like shady perception of like, of, uh, you know, Arab people. So he did this one movie with native people too. And it was really bad. And I was like, oh shit. You know, I forgot what the name of it was. Uh, was one of more the more recent ones, and I I stopped watching Adam Sandler movies for a while now. But do you want to talk about that yeah. portrayal of, in, in, of of Arab people or you know Muslims within like you know the Western media? Yeah. So first of all, fuck that movie. I don't remember it super well, but I definitely saw it when it came out and was like, this is horrible. Um, and yeah, not the biggest Adam Sandler fan, but. Um, Pretty much like any Western portrayal of the Israel-Palestine conflict 
One, it portrays it as a conflict instead of a genocide and a settler colonial ethnic cleansing project, which is false. And it, you know, sort of sets up this framework of Jews versus Arabs, which is false because like we've talked about, like there are Jewish Arabs, they're Palestinian people are not just Arab. Like many of them are Arab, but there's Armenian Palestinians, there's, you know, Arab Palestinians, there's um, like Afro-Palestinian Arabs, there's, but these people are very much Palestinian. They are distinctly Palestinian and not just Arab. And that's another part of the Zionist narrative is like, there's no such thing as Palestinians. These are just Arab people. They're just like random Arabs who happen to be here when we got here. And they can go, you know, to any of these Arab countries. Why don't they just go? There's, you know, Jordan and Lebanon and Syria. Why don't they just go there? And it's like, one, they're not Jordanian. They're not Lebanese. They're not Syrian. They're Palestinian. And two, like what that movie does and what most movies do is conflates all Arab people with Islam and conflates all Jewish people with Israel. And so when you're operating in that framework, then the Jews versus Arabs thing makes sense. You're like, oh, yeah, it's this ancient battle because these Arab people were here and then these Jewish people were from here and they came and fought. But that's not the case at all. It's like there were Jewish Arab people. There were, you know, yeah, Armenian, Palestinian people. Um, there are Druze people. There are Bedouin people who, you know, are indigenous to that land. And some of them don't consider themselves Palestinian. Some of them do consider themselves Palestinian. And that's their identity is up to them. Um, but these movies just do anything they can to, one, like glorify Israel and glorify, like, I think that movie, he's playing like a secret agent who's hunting terrorists or something. And I remember he like sprays hummus on everything, which is like, even that, that's like, that's like soft power Israel propaganda because like, Hummus is not fucking Israeli. Like, we Arabs like to argue about where it's actually from. You know, like, I'd say it's Egyptian. Uh, my Lebanese friends would say it's Lebanese. Um, my Syrian friends would say it's Syrian. But it's definitely not Israeli because Israel's not a fucking place. It's like a colonial outpost. Um, so they can't, like, their their culture is not hummus and zatar. It's genocide and oppression. Um, <laughs> and, like... Okay, like, just a great example of how Israel, like, creates these narratives. So, like, zatar is, like, a very important herb to us, thyme, um, to Arab people in general. Like, we use it in a lot of cooking. It's, like, just a sacred herb to us. And um, in 1977, I believe it was Ariel Sharon, uh, the genocidal maniac prime minister at the time, who illegalized the picking of of wild zatar and it held a three-year prison sentence normally people would just get a fine but they literally were imprisoning people for picking their ancestral plant on their ancestral lands and while they were doing this they're pushing zatar as an israeli food and creating products like there's like awesome it's like the beastly it's like a little cracker chip things and they have like zatar flavor and they sell it like you can find it in europe like israeli zatar flavored chips and pushing zatar is this like israeli product and it's just stealing the culture of the indigenous people trying to make it seem like it was always your culture and then validating your existence on stolen land through stolen culture and at the same time they were doing that and trying to steal the culture of Palestinian people, they were committing cultural genocide on my people and telling my my family, like, you're not Arab, 
you're not Egypt, like you're not Egyptian, you're just Jewish, you're Mizrahi, like stop wearing galabias, you look ridiculous. Um, like your food smells weird, you're don't speak Arabic, you sound like a savage. Um, you know, just literally like denying every single part of our culture and then stealing the parts that worked for them to validate their own existence. That's fucking wild. It's just like me thinking about, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's, it's hard to swallow because like that's it's a similar story here, you know, and it's just like, oh, God damn, like. Totally. I mean, the, the Zatar thing, when I learned about it, I was so reminded of indigenous people here being ba like barred from ceremonies, from dancing, from picking sage and burning sage was illegal. Yeah. And it's, you now, know, now being like, now, now now you can buy sage at the fucking store, right? In fucking bro, little packets, and it's TJ like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, TJ Maxx. <laughs> I was at TJ Maxx the other day, and it was like this little kit, and it was like, it was like white sage, uh, Palo Santo, and a fucking quartz crystal. Oh, and it was holy like shit. It was like which kit, and I was like, what the fuck kind of colonizer nonsense is this? And the only solace I get when I see shit like that is knowing that that sage was probably picked by some like angry person who was being underpaid and undervalued and was not doing it with good intention. And that when these white people take that sage home from TJ Maxx and burn it, they're just cursing the fuck out of themselves. <laughs> never thought about that. <laughs> no, man. Yeah. And it's, it's wild because, you know, you know, and, or, or people that just want to pretend, pretend they're Indians when they're not, that's, whole different subject we always cover but yeah <laughs> but I, i agree man it, it's wild just hearing that stuff and it's and it's you know um i don't know uh so do you have any recommendations for organizations that people can you that you trust that people can that help palestinian people that they should check out you know humanitarian uh they do humanitarian work over there that they can donate to Yeah, uh, well, Palestinian youth movement, they're really awesome. They're like sort of a global network of Palestinian youth who fight for liberation. Um, so like giving them your money and support is always great. Um, there's a lot of like small mutual aid uh, projects going on in Gaza right now um, because just trying to rebuild after the recent genocidal campaign. Um, they're... Let me see um as far as like i can recommend some good accounts to follow on instagram like ion palestine is always uh posting good stuff um the palestine pod is really great um it's hosted by um a woman named lara who's from gaza and palestinian and the other host is named michael and he's like an american jew uh who's anti-zionist and they give like they have incredible guests and give incredible perspective um I highly recommend for anyone who hasn't read uh, Orientalism by Edward Said. It's just a really important book for understanding the colonial framework that, um, and like the history that we've been fed our entire lives. So oh, that's well, a few. Yeah. Thank you. You know, and I, I, I feel like, you know, this is a topic that obviously is going to continue just like our colonization. You know, I hope that, you know, American settlers, whatever, and, you know, Jewish, you know, or, you know, Israeli settlers can hear, and you know, we don't want to push you into the ocean. So, 
you know, my hope is like just like you, you know, or anybody else that's you know Jewish can see that we're not, you know, understand colonization and understand decolonization. It's very you know like, and then you can understand our, our push. You know, I understand, and that's one thing, man. Like, um, when when I was as a native person, you know, being very young, and you know, I try not to cover the su- subjects because whenever they talk talk to me about decolonization, this is our decolonization. I was just like, uh, how do I, you know, oh. you know, uh, counter this, you know, and, and tell them they're being oppressive, and then they, whenever I told them they're being oppressive, they'll be like, you're anti-Semitic. I was like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? I get called anti-Semitic on a regular basis. Like, we'll see how many smear articles are written about me after this podcast. Like, I showed you that one. Oh, man, I saw that one, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, Yeah, I, it was insane. The Israel-hating Jew pretending to be Arab. Um, and I love how, like, the entire purpose, this dude, like, did, you know, he's, like, tried to research me and find out all this stuff, and he wrote, like, a full expose on me. And the whole point was that I was Jewish and he was like exposing the fact that I was Jewish. And he's like, this guy says he's Arab, but actually he's Jewish. Like mic drop, like you fucking idiot. Of course I'm Jewish. Like that's what I'm constantly talking about is being a Jewish Arab. Um, But for him, he's like so locked into that narrative of Jews versus Arabs that like me saying I'm a Jewish Arab is just makes him short circuit. And like, Masood, who I've brought up a few times, uh, read his book, When We Were Arabs. I believe the first line of that book, I'm going to try and remember it, but it's, I am a Jewish Arab. I'm a detestable thing. Some people say that I don't exist. Others will say that I once did, but no longer do. I think it's that. Um, And when I read that line, I was like, damn, it really resonated hard with me because I face that all the time. And it's funny because... Like, my Arab siblings never question my Arabness. They're like, we know your mom. Like, she's Arab as fuck. Um, But the people who are questioning my Arabness are white Jewish people who are so, like, threatened by my existence and by me, like, trying to give an honest look at our history that they will completely deny the fact that I even exist. And they'll say things like, you're not a Jewish Arab, you're a Jewish Egyptian, like in the Bible, like Moses. And I'm like, Moses was Arab, my dog. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, and, you know, like, thank you for that. And I think that that happens, too, with, like, with the Native communities, like people that are not Native trying to pretend they're Native. And they or they'll say they're Native, like Chicanos, because of phenotypes. And they'll be like, oh, this person here is not Native because they're white, and it's just like, what? Oh, this person is not native because they're black. And I'm like, yep. oh, fucking excuse me? Like, you know, like, and it's weird. Like, it's, they're stuck in this colonial. They, I always tell these people, like, you, you're seeing indigeneity via colonial, with, with colonial glasses on, right? I'm telling totally. you this, you know, like, maybe you should take the glasses off. You know? And they don't understand. They, they push and push and they're aggressive, aggressive. But whenever, like, and, and then they, they, they communicate aggressively right and i think this is what the 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 the, your smear thing was is like you know when whenever challenging colonization the only way for them to like you know challenge you back is to do aggression so whenever i had this podcast we talk we talk about you know decolonization indigeneity like i I noticed the people that some some may disagree but they're native 
but they're not as aggressive. But those, some of them are wearing colonial lessons. They're super fucking aggressive, and they can have a basic conversation. I tell people, come on the podcast and let's have a conversation. But they don't. They're like, fuck Rick. Rick's this and Rick's that and all these slander campaigns. I'm like, that's not going to stop me from talking about this. If anything, it's going to yeah. push me further, right? I was like, if you really wanted oh. to, to stop me, you would just talk to me and I'll stop, right? But they don't. They're like, oh, Rick, 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 Rick. And I'm like, you're making it worse for yourself. <laughs> I'm pretty stubborn it's too. Like, we, like all they know, like when they're, when they're viewing the world through that colonial lens, all they know, all they understand is genocide, oppression, violence, colonial violence. And so like when you're talking about these concepts of, of actual freedom and actual uh, like ending oppression and actual sovereignty it's it's unfathomable to them and yeah it's funny because I'll, I'll have my you know my arabness question whatever by by white people but they also never would claim me as their own they're like you're not white you're fucking brown um and even though my dad is white like i am i present brown i look like a brown person and so i've always been treated as a brown person um and that's kind of how, you know, it's just funny where they'll be like, no, 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 you're not. But you're, oh, no, you're also not white. Like, they're like, we don't want you, but you're definitely not Arab. And I'm like, okay, so which is it? And I, okay, this is a pretty irrelevant, but I was at a New Year's party, I think three years ago. And this kid that I sort of grew up peripheral to had just got back from a tour with the Marines and he was all fucking pissed off and islamophobic and somehow just started getting mad at me and calling me sand n-word and i was like whoa okay and then this fucking ignorant dude starts calling me an israeli palestinian faggot and i was like do you know what you're saying like i'm i'm not israeli or palestinian and like i'm very I think you're very confused, but this dude's just like, he's so ignorant that for him, like Israel and Palestine are the same thing. And it's just like a country in the Middle East full of Arabs that he wants to kill. That, and that I'm telling you, man, that shit is scary because I, like I said, I was in two different branches and then, and both times I joined because I was fucking homeless when I was 18 and the other time when I was an adult and they drill hate into you and it, and it sucks because like you know like I, I i talk about this with other veterans and they're like oh no we're freedom fighting force like fuck that fuck that nonsense because when i was when i was in boot camp in the army they were talking about killing commies and i was like thinking to myself i need to keep my mouth shut because i'm a communist <laughs> you know so yeah. i was like i totally need to you know keep my mouth shut and then like there was there's songs about killing arabs or songs about killing chinese people and then, and then, you know, they would deny this shit. But I went to the to the on base, and I saw the their cadence book, and I opened it, and I was like, "Here are the lines," and I posted it on Twitter. Here's the song where they talk about killing Chinese, drowning drowning them in the river. Here it is. And I was like, I fucking knew it. I remember this song. You know, I remember that they were singing this song where we were like running, and I was just like, "What the fuck are you singing?" You know what I'm saying? Like, why are you singing about? fucking murdering people 
right? But if that, that's that's colonizers, that's what they're drilled in their head. Like like somehow they're they're fucking freedom fighting, but at the same time, like they 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 they, you know, they they their violence is a form of art. You know, like they know what the fuck we're doing we're doing with the violence. They 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 drill the people like that's a good thing, and it's just like it's an art form to them. And I, somebody told me that like the, you know the recruiter they were like you know they were like warfare is an art. It is. It's fucking scary. They have everything down, you know. Like you know, and it's and it's uh, it's scary to me because these are people that are like super right wing racist, and they and, and they're trained to kill, you know. And yeah. I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Like I I came in here to like get out of you know poverty. Now I'm, I'm like I can I can I can stay out of poverty now. So I want to fucking leave. Like I was, it's not my fucking battle. Like I'm not. Yeah, I'm done I mean, with yeah. This kid who was calling me a Dune Coon and stuff, um, grew up in Southwest Portland. His parents were like nice, kind of like hippies, and he kind of like kicked it with rednecks. But you know, like he came from like a nice white uh, hippie family, and then he went to basic training and he came back like fucking let's kill some towel heads. Um, so it really is. Yeah, it's like that indoctrination is so strong. And in Palestine, it starts at birth. Like, from the second a child is born, he's told these people are trying to kill you. Like, I have a cousin who, like, would be considered radical in Israeli standards because he he refuses to go to reserves. He won't go to Miluim, like, when they call him for reserves because he's like, I'm done. I did it already. And I don't want to be a part of this. And he won't let his daughter go to military events. She's fucking five years old. Why are they having military events for five-year-olds? And he's like, yeah, I don't want her to be exposed to that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how, how is this a radical view to not want your child to be exposed to, like, fucking a colonizer army and their propaganda at age five? And then it goes on and on. And, like, in high school, you know, you learn – they learn a false history. They learn – that every war they ever fought was everyone trying to kill them and them just defending themselves. And it wasn't about colonial expansion. And by the time they're 17 and 18 and they're actually being conscripted, they're already fully there. You know, there's no, there's no radicalization. There's no um, indoctrination that has to happen because they're already there and they're ripe for the molding and they're children. They're fucking children. Like I have 23 first cousins who live in Palestine and I probably like 17 of them have children of their own. And a lot of those children are now at the age where they're joining the military and they're fucking babies. They're babies. They're 17 and 18 years old. They're my little cousins who I grew up with. And now I'm watching them go join this colonial fucking genocidal army of child soldiers. And it makes me sick. I agree. And I think, I think, you know, you hear stories about like Nazis, you know, like they give a dog to one of these kids back in the day, you know, this Nazi youth, you know, and then the kid had mm -hmm. to kill it, you know, um, to like, you know, train themselves to be like ruthless and shit, you know. But I'm like, that shit doesn't have to happen anymore now because now there's like, we are, yeah, we are, we are very like indoctrinated with this like colonial, super nationalist, like super, you know, violent culture, you know, of, of, you know, in America, and it's to me, we don't have we don't need these kids in the military to kill a dog anymore, they'll just do it, right? Like, I, I don't even doubt like a lot of yeah. people that I surf with had like, I, 
I don't doubt that they they were brutal. They they were like they, they the stuff that I know, the stuff that I seen. I don't really talk about it that much, you know. I was like, this is fucking brutal. Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't understand how this is like freedom fighting, you know. And I really want to talk, have an episode about that, um, with somebody, you know, like other leftist veterans, because I really feel like, you know, it it's, you know, it's scary to me. It's it, to me, it's scary as fuck, you know. But I don't know. It's you know. No, it's, absolutely. Like. One of, uh, like, my elders here in Portland, who's uh, Nez Perce, Uncle Art, he was in the Marines when he was 17. You know, he grew up um, on the res and didn't have any other options, joined the military, ended up in Vietnam. And when he got back, you know, his family was still, like, living in the same poverty, in the same conditions, if not worse. He, you know, he was no further than he was when he left, and he felt like, whoa, I just gave like years of my life to these people and they are still treating me like a slave essentially. And now like he's a fucking badass. He's in his seventies and shows up at, you know, he's at black lives matter protests all the time. He's at land back protests. He was at standing rock. He actually just got back from line three last week. He came over on Monday and was telling me about it. Um, and so I, it's interesting, like people like you and like uncle art who have been, essentially were like radicalized by the things you had to do and see. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Well, hopefully I'll have a, a, a episode about that, but um, I think we're going to close this out. I think I, I asked everything that I had to ask, unless you want to um, add anything else before we close out. Um, nope. Got okay. Nothing. All right. Nothing well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming on. And don't hang up, all right? I'm going to pause recording, but don't hang up. Thank you. All right. Shabbat shalom, Habibi. Shukran for having me. I'm really honored to have been on the podcast.